Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Bible. Wait, what? And today I'm sitting down with Leonie Schlosser, our very first official. You are going to be the first. I mean, I've got your son sitting over there, but I think you're going to be released before yes, I Adrian. Am. We're doing I a am. double recording today. Welcome, Leonie, from C3 Picton. Good to Thank have you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we have taken up the challenge. Good on you. Um, from, um, I think it was Jeannie put the challenge out she there did. and said, yeah. where is C3 Picton? So myself and my son have said, yes, we will take it on. So we will do it. So oh, we're looking forward to it. You guys get to be the first. And I'm really excited to have you because um, because I like this. I love the Schlosser family. I love your commitment to the kingdom of God over so many years. I love your commitment to the Lord. I love having conversations with your husband. One day we'll get him on this podcast because he asks awesome questions as well. Don't be surprised or (laughs) I would be surprised. (laughs) No, Ed always got lots of questions. So, um, and you guys are fresh back from leave. You've been away on holidays. Yes, I have. It's been awesome. Yeah, we went uh, to uh, Lightning Ridge. Lightning Ridge. To get some opals for Ed and I. Yeah, and Leonie told me those that have been listening to our podcast from, and we're recording this still in early October, but it'll be nearly Christmas when you listen to this. But um, Leonie told me that I gave her that flu that I had for several weeks while she was on holiday. So I just want to apologise online. Thanks for that. (laughs) Sorry about that, Leonie. It's all right. So if I sound a bit raspy, you'll know why. (coughs) I'm still coughing out a little bit. Yep. Anyway, we are going to, uh, we're kicking off our Advent series. I think you're the first in the Advent series. So get to do all those Christmas stories and so on. So that's where we're going today. We're very looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to get into uh, some some scriptures in Isaiah. Then what, Matthew Christmas stories? Yep, the Matthew. And, and then, then we're going on to some John as some well. A bit of John, yep. A little bit and of John. And then the book of Jude, I think. Yes, very interesting. Oh, the one chapter of Jude. Intriguing book, that one. Yes, yeah. it is. Indeed. All right. Well, we will uh, kick it off in Isaiah chapter 2. Okay, awesome. So do I just read? Yes, go ahead. You do whatever you want to do and we'll just Excellent. go play it by you. All right. So Isaiah chapter 2, it is what Isaiah, son of Emzon 
saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He would teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords with plowshares. Into plowshares. Yeah, into plowshares. This is the part I want to ask you about. Sure. And their spears into pruning for hawks. hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So I actually wanted to ask you a question here, Pastor Rowan. Go for it. Uh, he will judge between two nations. I thought that was quite interesting. And will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords. Now, I wanted to know what plowshares were because I'm not particularly, even though not I'm from ag- the country. You're a country girl, yeah. I am, but yeah. I haven't run a farm. So I thought I would look that up. And so it says plowshares, the main cutting blade to plow, creative tools that benefit mankind, which is the Bible verse. In the Bible, this is used to cut the top layer of soil Pruning hooks in the Bible symbolizes tranquility. So I thought that was quite oh, that's interesting. interesting. Pruning hooks mm. symbolizes tranquility. tranquility. I, I suppose yes. if you've got time to prune your roses, mm. then you're in a time of peace. You're not too worried about pruning your flowers if there's no. if you've got battle on the on the uh, front line, is it? That's right. Yeah, and that I, makes sense. I, I do have roses, so you do I, have roses. I know how to prune them and prune them pretty pretty far back. So. Yeah, that's true. That's the other thing that prune, you prune them all the way back, don't you? Yeah. So what is he symbolizing here? What is he? What are they trying to say? Well, some here? context is really good. So. Uh, in the early chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah was writing at a time when word was getting around among the Israelites that there was a, a new foreign power, a significant foreign power rising. That's the Assyrians. And so later on, we will find out um, in the book of Isaiah, we'll, we'll see more about the Assyrians. Now, they didn't they didn't actually conquer uh, Jerusalem. The Assyrians um, were turned away in a supernatural event right at the end, uh, right as they were surrounding Jerusalem. But this Assyrian world power uh, was one of the dominant world powers of the time. And so it's a time of rising. So there's an anxiety. They're hearing rumors that, that the Assyrians are conquering and and they did actually conquer the oh. northern kingdom of Israel mm. um, in, in this time. So this Isaiah was writing in you know, through a reign of uh, across a, a time period of about four kings. In fact, I think it probably says it in chapter one. It says, um, it says verse one of chapter one, it says, Isaiah saw these visions during the reigns of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and mm. Hezekiah. So four kings. So it's a pretty long prophetic right. time frame that yeah. he's speaking over the reign of four kings. Now, we don't think four, that's not four, four reigns of Queen Elizabeth. They're much shorter than that. Yeah. Um, but there's this, this rising sense of fear and anxiety that the Assyrians are going to take over. And so Isaiah sees this vision, which is pitching forward a hopefulness for Jerusalem that one day... God's going to turn all these battles around. Yeah. He's going to issue in a, a new kingdom of peace. And so you can see why visual imagery for an agricultural people of saying taking a sword and turning it from a sword to kill people into a a, a tool that would be able to reap the harvest. Yes. Uh, and, you know. And bring in tranquility. And bring in tranquility and peace. Mm. And so it's a. It's a prophetic, hopeful message ah, that so one day, comes in. that's where the hope comes in. That okay. hey, Instead of everyone coming up to the mountain of the Lord and surrounding Jerusalem and wanting to conquer it, it says people, one day, people, verse three, people from all nations will come and say, come on, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. So it's a yes. picture of unity, picture of peace, 
picture of hope that one day wars will end. Yeah. And this is some of the earliest insights we get towards this beginning stages of a, pro, uh, um, a vision that the people throughout the rest of the Old Testament from this point on will have about a Messiah. Mm. So these early, these, some of these chapters we're looking at today, Isaiah will start to prophesy about a Messiah and they start to see that oh, this one's going to come who is going to bring in peace. Yeah. Ultimately, of course, that's Jesus. Yeah. So that's the context of a lot of what we're going to read in, in Isaiah in these so chapters. So that's what it's about. It's actually more um, prophesying of end times, is Yes, it it's this hopefulness that one day. Now, they, they wouldn't have necessarily thought of it as, own, they wouldn't try to put a time frame on it. I think they would have been mm. thinking about um, their time frame. But that's been the case throughout church history. Every, everyone thinks that, you know, the prophecies are about their own time, and that's not a bad thing. That's right. It's not good to start putting dates on it and matching it to no. news articles and things. But that hopefulness that, hey, regardless, I'm going to live believing that God will bring in a, a kingdom of peace. Yeah, but the good, good thing about us is that we have the Bible. That's have right. It right in front of us where they didn't have any they didn't, of this. No, they didn't have – that's right. They, yeah. mo- at this stage, Isaiah's putting – you know, starting to declare these prophecies. They would have been written down and then put together – in their final format, several probably a couple hundred years after this. Yeah, so yeah. it would have been natural for these people of their time to think that this was to do with them. Yes. Yeah. Was, yes. Would have been totally. Natural, so. Yeah. And if, you can imagine if you're if you've got an army amassing on your borders, you, and you're crying out to God, it's normal to think this is about me. You know, this is in my time frame. But even the Apostle Paul, he. It seems like he thought that mm. Jesus was going to come back mm. in his lifetime. Because he, of the way he wrote. He wrote. He says, yeah. we who are still alive when the Lord returns. So yeah. it's not bad. I mean, Paul missed his date by mm. 2,000 years, but he lived with this expectancy that in the end it's going to be okay. In the end the yeah. return of Christ will happen and he will right every wrong and he will bring peace on the earth. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing wrong with living with that mentality yeah. as long as you don't start selling all your possessions and living yes. on North Head like some group did me. I was going to say some people do that. That's they? right. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the idea. I was just going to put down here: uh, pruning is not a punishment for the Christian; it is a reward. Spiritually pruning enhances spiritual growth by removing whatever inhabits spiritual growth. So, yeah. So, I really love the fact of this metaphor, metaphor with the um, with the pruning. with the pruning. Yeah, yes. because I feel that that's uh, sometimes we go through really harsh times and, and really hard times, but we just need to lean on the fact that that God is good. And yep. that God is doing good and he will remain with us and stay with us so through this good. time. And that, you know, things will be much, you know, Beauty from Ashes. I actually did a painting on that. Did you? Beauty from Ashes. I gave it to a, a dear, dear friend that was about to go through some hardship. I didn't know that, but God knew that. Um, it's now on her wall and that helps her walk through things. And it was um, a picture of a flower that had... I, I was a bit disappointed when I took the photo because there were some um, uh, petals inside the flower and I thought, oh, it's disturbed my picture, but it had another meaning for God. Oh, that's so, special. So, yeah, so beauty from ashes is a big thing for me and so I really feel that that is what is in Isaiah right now oh, in yes. relation to the pruning. That's so good that, that to understand that, that when God prunes, mm. uh, I think Jesus even talks about it in his gospel in John in John fourteen fifteen sixteen somewhere there he says my father is the vine dresser and he prunes everyone he cares for he loves mm. yes yeah, so there's that understanding that hardship isn't automatically meaning we're outside the will of God no mm, exactly right. it's so good it's actually pruning us for better li- none of us like the pruning do we if we're honest no, but that's no. so encouraging to hear yes. you say that yeah yes and um, okay so just um, chasing on from this the rest of it. You have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practiced 
Divination. Divination, yeah. Like the Philistines and clasp hands with pagans. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. The land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands so that their fingers have made. So man will be brought low and mankind humbled. Do not forgive them. That's very interesting. That's isn't interesting, it? isn't it? Mm, yeah. This is more like that them? whole pointy finger kind of prophet mm. that we think the Old Testament prophets are all about, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. Suddenly he's gone from hopefulness mm. to judgment in yes, the exactly. space without even drawing breath, hasn't he? And you find that quite often in the scriptures that yeah. just goes flick, flick. You yes, know, it does. It goes to the woe and then yeah. it says, oh, but it's good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's definitely calling them to judgment. So it even reads like it's it's one prophecy. I mean, the, the hopefulness that you just read and then it's just verse 5, come descendants of Jacob, let's walk in the light of the Lord for the Lord has rejected his people. So you're thinking, is this a separate prophecy? And you, I don't know. I'd have to Google mm. it and see if it was all part. But it seems to be written to flow off the back of hopefulness. So this this kind of prophetic stuff is what is very challenging to a lot of people about reading the Old Testament prophets. Yes, it is. It seems to be... Because it flips from one to the other. That's right. And then you get this doom and gloom and it sounds like Mm. a harsh, judgmental, vindictive God who's just got a big stick, like, you know, and wants to... He's not forgiving and he's judgmental and so on. And so I think that's a really good point you're asking there. I think if you can see that what he is doing is he is... He's just given hope, but he's not going to let up on the fact that God's people aren't living the way they should be. No. They are... Uh, you see some of the things he says they're doing. They're, they're filled with practices from the east, with sorcerers, things like the mm. Philistines do. Mm. They've made alliance with pagans. So there's all this pagan religious practice going on, and so much of that was attached to um, cultic practices, um, sex cults, uh, abusive uh, abuse of the poor and the vulnerable and young yeah. girls and, you know, even, even child sacrifice, so, so, so much yeah. of this. So you can see why... You know, when you start to see it in that perspective, you realize that's what God's on about. He, he people are failing to, the, his people who should be representing him are actually mistreating other human beings. Which, which is sin. Which is sin. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's a, a deep level. And then he goes on and says, you know, you guys are full of silver and gold. You th- he's talking now about material wealth and mm. abuse of the poor. Yeah. And so, so much of this, when God is using a prophet to speak strongly to his people, it's because of these things. They are amassing for themselves wealth at the expense of others, just like Jesus talked to the Pharisees and Sadducees about doing. That's right. Um, they are using uh, their in cultic practices. And so when I get that, I'm a bit more comfortable with going, that's why God is so harsh. Yeah, and I think in particularly in this time, if God wasn't direct and spoke directly, they they would they would go from left to right. They wouldn't take any notice because then no. with us, I suppose we have the Holy Spirit, which is amazing. Yes. Um, whereas back then they didn't have the Holy they Spirit. They were relying on them. the spirit of the prophets. Yeah, really. correct. Yes. So they were relying on the spirit of the prophets yep. to actually um, speak to them, to sp- to speak to God, and to give a word. Um, so I would think that would be really really hard to live in that time. And very grateful to live in the time that, that we we're live in now, now yeah. because yeah, it would be easy to go left and right rather than um, going straight forward. Yeah, for sure. So um, yes, but I have noticed that about the Old Testament. But I am actually a lover of the Old Testament. Yeah, okay, great. It just intrigues me. So um, going into the rocks, hiding the ground from dread of the Lord and the splendor of His Majesty, uh, the yes. eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled, and the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will exalt. 
in that day. So this is really interesting, just this little bit here, going to the rocks. It's like we're trying to hide from God. Well, like they were trying to hide from God, mm. which is impossible. That that theme is picked up a few times actually. Mm. It's picked up in the book of Revelation actually, in the yeah. judgment of Revelation, the same thing. It's they same hide thing. in the ro- This idea of I can get away from God, but I really – By hiding. Hiding, but of course we can't. Yeah, and, and the arrogant man – so yeah, so it's very it's a very interesting chapter because it's yeah anyway you get, you'd go on all day about Isaiah because um yeah really really enjoyed reading Isaiah Isaiah is one of my favourite Old Testament yeah, books. Pastor Jonathan Kelly, whenever I get to Isaiah, I read through Isaiah Isaiah and I do the Bible in ninety days, so I'm getting through Isaiah in four or five days at a time, and I love it. Yeah, Jonathan Kelly describes it as um, mostly milk arrowroot biscuits with the occasional Tim Tam. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas yeah, most of it's milk out of root biscuits. Oh, yeah. You agree. find a Tim Tam every now and then. We're going to look at a couple of those Tim Tams today. But yes. uh, and I think once you want, I think the thing about Isaiah that's very helpful, and that's why I started this chapter with that, is a bit of context to the history of what's going on and the geography is mm. vital because that was something they already had. They, they had that in mind. So it makes sense to them. You start talking about cutting down the cedars of Lebanon and all that. And we've, if we don't have any context, we can't see what's going on. So Yeah, we don't understand what is, it sword to plowshare mean oh now suddenly it makes sense you know yes. that helps to bring the poetry bring the poetry to life because a lot there's a lot of poetry in the Bible. Isaiah is nearly all poetry it is yes, isn't there's it? a bit of narrative but most of it is poetry and that's how the prophets tended to write poetically yeah yeah so I find that yeah so most of from um, chapter 2 to 10 to 19 most of all this is very similar so for every every trading ship, every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of man. So he's basically saying this, all this wonderful picture at the beginning, but then he ends really nicely, um, which I find that whenever somebody is rebuking you, they tend to start nicely and they tend to put all the horrible stuff in the middle. In the sandwich middle. in the middle yeah. <laughs> and, then and then encourage you at the yeah, end. That's right, and give you encouragement. And yeah, I we'll work for the Apostle Paul, we'll meet in the sandwich. That's right, yeah. exactly. And I think that's pretty much what he's been doing here. Yeah. So, um, and then it says stop trusting a man who has but a breath in his nostrils of what account is he so um i actually have this bible which is called the quiet time bible oh, nib and i really love it because it actually explains um at the beginning of each book um about its culture and why it was written and then it actually explains at the beginning like something you've that got, relates. Beginning to each chapter, you've got a bit of a, a commentary, yeah. have you? That's great. So there's a bit yeah. of a commentary. So. Well, folks, that's it. if you're wondering how to read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, get yourself something like that, a commentary. Um, mm. Get yourself a study Bible. And it explains um, it, so it's really good. My very first Bible was the NIV study Bible, leather bound that my mum bought me yep. for Christmas in 1990 or something. Um, and 1989, and it, um, I've still got it somewhere. Pages are falling out. But a good study Bible just helps you to get some context. Yeah, just You don't need to worry about going to Google or anything else. A bit of context is useful, isn't it? Yeah, and it also asks you questions. That's so right, gets you thinking. With this one, I have just a prayer at the end, so I'll just yeah, to finish yeah, off this one. Great. Ask God to teach you what it means to stop trusting in humanity and to only rely on him. I have learnt that a big lesson this year. Yeah. Definitely. Every time I feel a little bit lost and feel like I can ring all my friends or my girlfriends that all, all help me, including particularly Ivana McNeil, um, I uh, I realise that I haven't been praying and pressing into uh, God enough. Yes. And he often says, I am enough. Yeah, beautiful. Um, just come to me. And that's not to say Ivana's not a mere human, like it says in the NLT here. Don't trust in mere humans. So she's a pretty extraordinary human. But, she is extraordinary. But I know what you mean, isn't yes. it? It is that whole... First and foremost, yep. we 
we've got God on our side. And, that's right. Yeah. And he, he gives us yeah. the direction and the people. So, Well, folks, as we wrap up that chapter, that's a good thought for you to pray and just think about, you know, are you, what are you trusting in as you face the enemy? I mean, like these guys, if you might have some, feel like some Assyrian em- enemies are coming against you, where is your trust? Is it in the Lord or is it in humans? And um, it's a great way to wrap up a reflection on a chapter like that. So well done. Okay. We're going to move on to Isaiah chapter four now. Pastor on to Isaiah 4. Mm. So this one is very interesting. I'll particularly launch off with this one. In, in that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we, we will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. So I put down here that um, it's the promise that God will cleanse us. So cleanse us and protect us, just like when the Israelites left Egypt. I thought that was rather interesting. So it says here we will eat our own food. So basically the women are so desperate that they will provide for themselves yeah. as long as they get can a roof get. over their head. Exactly. So That's a pretty dark picture, mm, isn't it? Very dark. Of what's so, going on. So yeah. what is going on there? So here's a little tip. So it, it, it's said in chapter three, and we're not, we're not reading every chapter in this in this um, Bible plan, but it says in that day. So you go, okay, what day? Ah, yeah, that's go, what right. Day. So where would you go to find out what day? The you go before. to the chapter before, and yeah, I'm looking at this as judgment fall. against Judah. Mm. And so <laughs> there's a um, there's a, a kind of declaration of God's judgment against Judah for its sin, and that um, it, it, let's look at the last few verses. You don't have to read the whole thing. Um, it sounds pretty bad. It says, instead of smelling sweet perfume, Jerusalem's going to stink. Shame will replace her beauty. The men of the city will be killed with the sword and her warriors will die in battle. The gates of Zion, which is Jerusalem, will weep and mourn. Mm. The city will be ravaged. And destitute. So it's a pretty dark day. In other words, all the soldiers have been killed in this vision. Yep. That's hence the picture. Hence the reason why, the why there's not enough men women, to go around. One. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I get it. So it's a poetic picture of a dark time mm. of judgment that when these people had continued to willfully turn their back on God, and this is this is that whole idea of what's really going on. Is this God's judgment or is this just God removing his hand of blessing and saying, well, you know, you guys have made your own mess, you mm. know. Now, God's grace, he'll, he'll intercede in that. But I've come to realize sometimes God God's judgment is a sign of grace because he will actually intervene and make things worse to save future lives because left to our own devices, humans are going to make things worse and worse and worse. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. So that's the that's the picture. It's a poetry, poetic way of saying it's not looking good, people. Okay. So this one actually starts a bit disastrous. It does. But in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel, mm. which is a lovely picture. So it's turned from a dark, same day. Mm, same day. It looks dark and mm-hmm. hopeless. Yep. But in the day, there's a branch. There's a little hope. There's a... The glory There's of the Lord little, is still there. Little glint, and yep. that's and that's what I I really love. Like sometimes you will wake up some mornings and you just feel horrible and yes, awful. Yes, but in there. But in there. But if you just spend a little time with the Lord, come on. And you, I'm I'm a, I'm a worshiper, so I love listening to worship music and singing, as my poor family have to put up. <laughs> with. But um, but it just it just lightens the load yeah. and just makes you look heavenly. Look up rather than look below, or look at the, what you're what you're going through. Come on, that's that's exactly right. Mm. Find that find that silver lining. Find God's 
little mm. glim- glimmer That's of it. hope in the middle of it. Silver lining. I love that. <coughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So those who are left in Zion who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. All who are recording among the living in the Jerusalem, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of the Zion. He will cleanse the blood stain from Jerusalem by spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day, and I really love this, and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm of the rain. This, obviously, this particular bit of scripture is exactly what they went through in Egypt. That's How exactly they right. Come on, walked back in again. So I really love. It's hearkening them back. Yes, it's yes. going back to to the to uh, so Exodus. So for the listeners, because this is this is a prophetic declaration about the the basically the Babylonian conquest mm. of Jerusalem when there's just a remnant left. Most of very small have been carried off and into exile. There's just a few left, and it looks hopeless. And God's now saying. You know, it might look hard, but in that day, I've got you. Yeah, and then I'm right there. Straight away. You know what you went through? Your ancestors went through in the desert. I brought mm. them out of Egypt. I protected them. Oh, that's so good. You yeah. hit. I was going to ask you, what does that remind you of? But oh, you straight went away. straight there. As soon as exactly. I read that, I went, exactly. okay. Yeah, I can see the hope and I can see that. Again, it's like when we fall, God just picks us up yeah. and says, it's okay, I've got you. It's like a mother and her child, you know, like child falls over, scrapes their knee. I've God got picks you, you up. Pick you up. God, yes. God protects you. So I really. That's, a, that's so good. That's I a love really this good one. narrative mm. um, as well. A narrative, uh, the way the Bible works narratively is like that quite often is that you, you're supposed to look back to previous times God did things and go, okay, this is hard right now, but it's been hard before. That's right. And God's going to, and you can do that in your own life. Mm. You know, this might feel like I'm going through a tough time right now, but I've been through tough times before and God's brought me through. That's right. And he yeah. does it every time. He so does it. I'll just read this little bit that I, I brought out of it. The yeah. promise that God will cleanse us. That, that was a, a main thing that I got out of that mm. because cleanse us, because oftentimes we just get so caught up in our own stuff and our own mess. So he'll cleanse up, protect us, just like when the Israelites left Egypt, which is what I said, Isaiah 5. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke. That's why I really loved what I just read because I just love that whole picture. You honestly feel like God is, is totally with you, totally with you, and you can see him. That's what people often can't see God, and if you can see a fire and a cloud, then it's like total protection. Yeah. So yeah, mm. warmth mm. and cool. Warmth, That's cool. the thing, isn't it? It's, it's like it's that protective thing. That yep. No matter how hot things get, the cloud will protect you from the you know burning heat of the sun. And no matter how cold things get, God's spirit will keep us alive and warm on the inside. Yeah. So just to finish that chapter off, it's just basically about cleansing, God being with us, comforting us, and. Um, even though dark times have happened or things are happening to us, God will always there to wash that clean and just be around us. Amen. Bring us in a new direction. And I think that whole cleansing, to pick that up, just wrap that up there, the cleansing is really good because the cleansing is happening through purification. Like mm. it's saying the hot, with the spirit of judgment, this version says the hot breath of fiery judgment. So that would be the word ruach there. Your version, the NIV says spirit. This NLT yes. is using the word breath, but it's the same word. Yeah. But it's like God's judgment against our sin, against the sin of the people, against what they've been through, has actually it's the judgment that actually does purify. Like mm. like when you put something in the fire, it purifies the um, dross out of it. That's what judgment does. It hardship 
brings purity. It brings cleanliness. So mm-hmm. there's, which, an, there's definitely a theme here, isn't there? Yeah, and which takes us to another level. Which yes, takes us it takes us to, to God, a cr- cr- closer level of purity. The golden hope in all this is that even though it's hard right now, we're in the dark, God is going to bring us through to the light. Isn't that interesting that these are, you know, these are scriptures, and we're going to see that in a moment, that are picked up in the Christmas story in the fullness of hope because, mm. you know, we like to think the Christmas story was all – uh, beautiful, but it was in a, it was in a dark time. Yeah, and it was hard. The hope came. It was a hard time. They're under Roman rule, and and it was hard government. for Joseph and Mary to go through this totally know, persecution all, from their own people. Yeah, as exactly. Well as all Roman of that world. is a brilliant way to go when you read Isaiah. Yeah, see the hope in the midst of darkness. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. that's great. Okay. Where are we going to now? Another. We're we going to cha- oh, chapter cha- five. Chapter five now. Mm. Okay, Pastor Rowan, we are on Chapter 5 of our Hope series. Song about the vineyard. Yes, it's a vineyard. Very nice mm. song. This is my favourite thing. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. You could put some music to this. That almost I sounds could. poetic the way I you're know. saying it. Sing it, yeah. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choice vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only had bad fruit. So mm. this again starts off extremely well and beautiful and bright, full of hope. And then we get that last bit, which bad says fruit. yielded bad fruit. So mm. then that just um, dives into bad again. Now it says, you people, you are that vineyard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. And then he's just like, yeah, he's pretty, pretty heavy handed yeah. with this one. So yeah, I really loved it though. So now you dwellers in Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? So so I can see the metaphor and where this is going in relation to opening their eyes again. He starts with a parable. So they're probably all sitting there with their um, milk and cookies going, good, a yeah, story. Yeah, doing what Jesus does. Let's have yeah, a exactly. story. Let's have a story about the vineyard. Oh, that sounds and nice. And then next he goes smack, smack, exactly. backhanded. No, Nothing quite like a poetry and art to tell a story and catch people. If he had just recited it, it wouldn't have, you know, just stated it. It wouldn't have had the same um, buy-in. That's that right. A poem does or a song does in this case. Yeah. And yeah. In, in just sort of relating it again to hope and to Christmas, um, Jesus came and it was a beautiful thing. Mm. But, unt- you know, in the end, Jesus is our judge. And, you know, the way that we behave and the, what we do, um, this is sort of a metaphor that sort of goes into that. So you start off with all this beautifulness, like Jesus, when he came, it's a good way to he do did it. miracles, he did all these amazing things. And then. Sadducees and the Pharisees went, woe to you. Yeah, that's woe right. Woe to you. So they exactly. were coming along and listening to these wonderful stories, but a lot of them were about them. Absolutely they were. Yeah. For the same reasons that mm. the prophets of the Old Testament did, because they were the ones who were having entrusted with a covenant. They were the ones who were supposed to care for the people Correct. and and shepherd them, mm. and they've done exactly the opposite of that. They have, right. um, they have basically abused the people for their own gain and Jesus and Isaiah mm. are not happy about that. Well, they were meant to stand out. 
as God's people. Yes. That's what they were. Um, yep. Because in that time, people were ruthless and barbaric and mm-hmm. they didn't care about anyone but no. themselves. And the Assyrians that he's writing about were renowned for that. They the were Assyrians were, their, their were the most ruthless of yeah. all. Yeah, um, they were really bad. Yeah. And so God wanted his people to shine a different value system in, and not just to the world around them, but even to their own people. That was the problem is the elites within within the Jewish society, within Judah, were abusing their own people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so they weren't even looking after their own. Let alone anybody else. Which they were meant to stand out and be a little bit different. So, yeah, yeah, so uh, I put here, Isaiah chooses a subject of dear friends, in opinion, as a parable to deliver God's message. God lavishes his care onto us, which he does, and onto the Israelites. In these verses, Isaiah starts with this beautiful description, which is what I said, of tender care to dismay of a vineyard. When the final product was only evil-smelling, bitter wine grapes. Mm. Isaiah drops the disguise of the parable, then rams the lesson home with woe, woe to, and it says woe to greed, woe to drunkenness, woe to laziness, woe to deceit, who hastens his work. Oh, there's this other bit, but I'll come to that because that's really quite strong as well. So he goes through all the woes um, Mm. of what they're doing, which is what you said, uh, Pastor Owen, in relation to they couldn't even look after their own. Yep. The the rich were exploiting the poor, buying up house after house and field after Mm. field. And that was always at the extent of, you know, someone who couldn't pay their debt or got themselves in, into financial havoc. Yeah, it's just it's hor- it's a horrific picture yeah. of a people who are not doing what they said they would do. No, and they're just building up all this stuff and mm. they don't even need it. That's right. So to yeah, so that was quite distressing. Mm. But the part that I found quite interesting was sorry, where is it? Sorry, sorry about this. Um, we see now that after they had turned away from God, they turned back and were completely forgiven. Now that's twelve. Where am I going? That's chapter 12, is it? Oh, I don't know where I was going there. Sorry about that. <laughs> In these verses, Isaiah starts with a beautiful metaphor, which is what I said. Isaiah drops the disguise and the lesson is hit home. I like the way you say that. Drops the disguise. Yeah, and hits home. And then... Nothing like a good parable to catch people off, it off does. guard. It does. And I think Jesus did that <laughs> He quite did often. it regularly, yep. Yeah, let God hurry, let him hasten. This was interesting. I found this in uh, 519. Mm -hmm. Let God hurry, let him hasten his work. They disregard God's work as if they don't even know it or trust his promises will come true. It's they're mocking him. They're mocking God. They're actually saying, well, you know, if, if he's so great, why doesn't he come? Come on, hurry up. So I read in um, a New King James Version that say, let him make speed and hasten his work so that we may see it, unbelief. So to me, that that just signifies unbelief. Yeah, it's like, oh, we don't care. We can do what we want because God's not going to show up anyway. No, it's he's not going yeah, to intervene. Yeah, he's not going to intervene. I haven't seen him. In fact, you see in other prophecies where, I'm trying to think of it as Isaiah, it might be Ezekiel, where I think it's Ezekiel, where he's he's rebuking them for exactly this sort of thing, pagan worship, abusing the poor, um, and he's saying, stop worshipping the foreign gods. Mm. And they actually go, no, we're going to keep worshipping the foreign gods as long as we want because while we were worshipping there, there wasn't any problems. But now we worship, we tried worshipping your God mm. and things got worse. And, and so it wasn't that. It was, that, just it was the fact that they were, they were being reprimanded for their worship. And so yeah. that's that picture of mocking God and going, oh, you know, I can get away with whatever I want. I can it, live for myself. They don't see it. They don't see it. Um, you ever seen a movie called um, God's Not Dead? Yes, I have seen God's Not Dead, yeah. Okay, well, there was a, a older lady in there who had dementia, and this was really interesting because dementia, um, people can do this, can, 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 can get this amazing... Aspects, see well, other if things. they have Holy Spirit in them, yeah, that's yeah, what they sure. do. And this um, son of hers wondered why he was even sitting there um, in this, um, 
you know, visiting his mum and he said, I don't understand it. You have been such a faithful woman all of your life and yet here you are with dementia mm. and you have no idea what's going on. I can't say the exact words. No, that's right. That's my kids. But yep. one thing I really loved is the fact that all of a sudden she pipes up and she goes, you know, you're in this cell, the door's open, you're all comfy and nice and that's where, you know, Satan wants you because yeah. – you're not going to come out of that yep. nice comfiness. Sometimes the worst kind of comfort, the worst kind of cell is a cell of comfort. Yeah. And then mm. she said, and then one day the door will shut. Mm. And then so judgment profound, will reign. Yeah, I know. And it's, um, I just, I was blown away by that. And then she turns around to her son and says, who are you again? Yeah. But you know, that came from the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God speaking that right was in the that Holy moment. Spirit. That's right. And that is exactly mm. what, that's the same thing. It's like you guys that are stuck in your cell of your own comfort. Yeah, and that's why they think that there's, oh, the problem now that we want to worship your dog, yeah. God, now we've got trouble. That's I, right. No, it's called a conscience. No, that's exactly right. So now like, you, you're trying to make some shifts mm. and you're also, does, you're also living out the consequences of poor decisions you've previously made. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty damning words against the people who should have lived differently. Yeah, and then um, you can actually see this in the New Testament happening again with 2 Peter 3.3 3 and 2 Peter 3.4. They seek signs and wonders in order to believe Jesus is the Messiah. They do not trust the scriptures. Mm. And that's the same sort of thing that's sort of brought up here. They, they're mocking him. They, they don't even trust the scriptures that they've been brought up with. Like they have something. They yep. have some written scrolls and they, they don't even believe, you know, what because I know that they don't. They never read back then. It was all told through stories. Yes, yeah, so we'd be told in, in the synagogue, well, not the synagogue, at the temple and so on, basically, yeah. and, and re- told down story by story. Very few people could read, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But they wouldn't have they, – they wanted to see signs and wonders. They wanted to see the, the cloud and the – They wanted the all water the big parted. stuff. They wanted all that sort that's of stuff. That's right. So, yeah. Yep. I'm, being, I'm pretty much done with Isaiah yeah. 5. All right. That's good. We'll move on to Isaiah 9 now. Yep. Awesome. All right. Have a giggle. She was just saying, sorry about my mix up in the last chapter. I go, no, you've got to be real. Keep it real. Okay. We are Isaiah 9. We are diving right into this. This is a Christmas one. This one, well and truly used Christmas. This is definitely a Christmas one. I love this one. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. For those who were in distress in the past, he humbled the land of the, oh, here we go, Zebulun. Did I say that yes, right? Yes, you did. And the land of Naphtali. 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 But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles. I love this. By the way of the sea along the Jordan. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? Because mm. he does mention Galilee and the Gentiles. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So this is very much referencing to um, Jesus. On those living in the land of the shadow of the death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For it is in the day of the Midian defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, sorry about this, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. So I've just put down here that a number six for us as a child is born. This is the typical um, Christmas scriptures. Yep, yep. Um, it is indeed. So I can read the verse, but um, so where is it? Verse, verse six. Verse six. 
Oh, I was about to get to that, wasn't I? Yeah, you're nearly there. For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I've always loved that. Mm. Well, that's uh, the key. Isn't that key chorus in Handel's Messiah? It is. Yeah. It is, yes. That's what I thought. That's where he got yes, it from. It's yeah. beautiful. I love that bit. So we are now introducing that Jesus will be born in the future. Yes. Is that correct? This is now starting to – now, that whether or not they, you know, they saw that there was a prophecy here. This, this is a prophecy about a future ruler. Mm. And this is the thing we need to realize as we read this is that we're looking back and we know the story. These prophetic stories about a Messiah, they, they gain traction over time. It's not like it's always all the first prophecy, it all fits together or they all understood it. It's, it's like a, you know, a, something rolling down a hill, snowball getting bigger and bigger as it mm. rolls down a hill. So they get a bigger and a, as time goes on, they develop a picture of what the Messiah will look like. They learn more about the prophetic plan of God as time goes on. So this is another little glimpse of it, that this Messiah is going to be a child that's going to have the government on his shoulders and they go, oh, that's hopeful. Mm, you know, it's very it's, hopeful. You can see why they think that he's going to overthrow the rule of the day. Exactly. You can see that because, you know, he's bringing in peace. His government will end. And you think, well, how's, how's peace going to come in? Well, of course, he's going to defeat the enemy, whether it's the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Greeks or the Romans or whatever. That's right. They always have this mentality that the Messiah will bring in this peace. Yes, but they think they don't read the other. They don't realize that the plan of God was to defeat a bigger problem than the empires of the world. It was going to defeat the problem that caused the empires in the world, which was sin inside the human heart. That was God's Messiah plan. Another thing that I've been watching is called The Chosen. Yep. So The Chosen is a really good way to see Jesus' character. It certainly is. So, you know, they thought he was going to be this great warrior coming in and they were waiting for that. So, but uh, what I really loved is the fact that he actually showed his character. Um, even through his birth, it was all through his character. There's a humility in that, isn't there? Yeah, there, there is. This yes. complete humbling of the increase of this government space. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. See, that's where they get Now they're the starting to get a reign. picture. Ah, okay, ah. this is a king. He's going to this be king. Messiah is going to come on David's throne. He's going That's to be a right. son of David. You can see that snowball yeah, developing. Yes, so you can yes. see where they're thinking of yep. and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It sounds really strong yeah. and and almighty. And I think you spoke um, another podcast about how. David was such a warrior and such a and, they, and everybody expected Jesus to be the same yes, that's because right. he was a mighty yep. mighty fighter and yeah and exactly. he came in sheep's clothing. There was other attributes of David's character yeah. like his kindness to Mephibosheth and things like yes. that that were the things that Jesus was picking up on. Yes, not so yeah. much the the not warrior so much, side. Not so much the warrior side. Yeah, so that's right. I, again, I'll just uh, finish, <coughs> finish this chapter in a responding to prayer. Praise God for his character and the way he has revealed himself to you. Mm -hmm. So that's what I get from that chapter is is there's a bit more revealing of who Jesus is on his character, that he was Prince of Peace, that he was mighty God, he was everlasting um, and he was a mighty counsellor and that the government would be weighted on his shoulders, which they were. Which they were, were. that's right, Mm. exactly. And he'll rule with fairness and justice. I cling to yeah. that. I, yeah, yeah, I, like I really, that. I really yeah. love that. So, yeah, yeah, very much looking forward to that. So. One other thought: uh, Is there anything else you wanted to say in that chat? No. I'm, well, I'm, one other thought that I've, I've used this one. I've preached. You probably might have heard me preach this in, in our um, Christmas sermons over the last few years. That 
uh, right back at the start where it talked about Zebulun and Naphtali and those living in darkness. So that's a scripture that, well, I think it's quoted in Matthew about Jesus living and serving in the region of Galilee. And uh, I think it's an encouraging prophecy because even in this time, that region of Galilee, uh, which is up in the north of Israel, um, was under uh, pagan rule. So, you know, the Assyrians were certainly moving into town. Um, The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, had not been serving God for a long time by this point. They were pretty much a pagan nation, really. Um, And it was a dark place. Mm. And so he entered this promise of a, in, an, in an area of darkness is this prophecy that you're living in a land of darkness, but the great light has shone. Mm. And so they would have been seeing it as hope's going to come from that area. But of course, Matthew, I think it's Matthew, picks it up and we might even do it if we do the Matthew yeah. scriptures. He picks it up and he refers it to Jesus and he says, those living in that land of darkness. And at the time of Jesus, Galilee uh, had a lot of, it was called the, the region of the Decapolis. There was a lot of Greek uh, pagan Roman people, materialistic pagan worshippers in that area. It wasn't kind of the place you wanted to live. It wasn't seen no. as the heart of uh, the heart of Judaism at the time. And yet Jesus goes straight into the powers of dark place of darkness and shines his light. So I think that's hopeful yeah. uh, for all of us yeah. that, you know, it, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about, oh, the world's getting dark and, oh, it's hard, so dark for Christians. Well, I think that's when the light has the chance to shine. Shine the brightest, you know? yeah. So, you know, Jesus has a way to shine his light into darkness and bring give us that protection and the fire and all that stuff we talked yes, about. that's right. Um, and the cloud so that we can then take that light to the darkness around us. And it'll really be seen. And it will be seen. It will be seen more because as it's a lot easier to see the light when it's in a dark place than that's it is right. to notice our light when we're surrounded by other lights. True. Yeah, it's true. so I'm hopeful, and I think this that's the message they received, and that's the message we can take into the, to our day, yeah. is that Christ will shine in the midst of darkness. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, I'm pretty much finished All with right. that one. Yep. Uh, we're over to our last Isaiah one. Yeah. We're smashing it out. Isaiah 12. 12. Yeah. We are in Isaiah 12. This is, I think, this is the last one. This is the last one in Isaiah. The yeah. Old Testament. Yes, excellent. And it's only a little, it's only a few verses, isn't it? It is only a little yeah, one. Six but verses, it's a little song. Power packed. Mm, sure so is. I will just read this back. Yeah, maybe you just read it. Yeah. Okay, are you ready? So, in that day, here we go again, in that day. So, we have to read the beginning. Actually, um, while you're on in that day, yep. Uh, if you want to know a lot about the day of the law, which comes up time and time again, the Bible Project have a superb uh, little video explaining what the day of the Lord is because it's terminology that comes up time and time again in the Old Testament. So Constantly. I can recommend the Bible Project, the day of the Lord. They've got a whole podcast on it, but even the video itself helps you to understand. Because oh. once again, just like the Messiah was an ongoing understanding, so was this concept of the day of the Lord. And it carried with it judgment and hope at the same time. And we, we've seen that. We've seen in this few verses here that we've looked at a mixture of God bringing judgment, but also yeah. bringing revival out of that. Yeah, so no, that's yeah. all carried in the concept of the day of the Lord. Oh, okay. Well, yep. Thank you very much. It's all right. All right. I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Mm. So I think that's um, quite a positive um, flow in. 
So, yeah, so basically to me that looks, um, you know, obviously the hope is that he's going to be salvation. Yes, yep. Um, has become salvation with the joy withdraw water from the wells of salvation. So it's very much around salvation, just that small part just there. So um, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. See, look at that. I've just read the whole thing. Yes, right. It's a great little song that has been inserted there, and we're not doing Isaiah 11 today. I might be doing it in another with someone else at some point in this Christmas season. I'm not sure, but I'd recommend going back and reading Isaiah 11 because it's the whole prophecy. It's more prophecy about the Messiah being from David's line and some beautiful promises in there around God uh, bringing justice to the poor. It's where it says the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. It's this picture of future peace, Um, you know, no matter how things get, God will bring in this peace. There will be restoration on his holy mountain. And then it says... And then this little six six verse yeah. song of yeah. praise of salvation there is being inserted, and so you know it's a picture of salvation to them is seen as God rescuing them from from difficulty in life, which is a good good um, roll on from what we read before about you know that uh, the Son has been given to us. Yes, know? And that's then it right. Rolls on to this the salvation, which is Jesus. Which Jesus. is Jesus. Jesus that's right. Well, His name. Yeshua means God saves. God saves. Yah saves. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. So that's, that's brilliant. That's the meaning of his name. So I do like that little excerpt. Yep. I quite enjoyed reading that. That's a great little one. So I've just put down here, personally we struggle with um, this on a daily basis. So we struggle with salvation, with the song, with um, God being good to us. And a daily basis we turn away. But when we turn back to God, I personally feel cleansed and refocused. Purpose comes back, but when I take life in my own hands, things don't go well. So easy to spiral downward into despair. God is a God of hope. When we turn back to him, he completely refreshes us, strengthens us, and gives us his direction and purpose. So I found that this um, very small uh, song um, to be very refreshing and uh, just to focus our mind back on salvation and why God came here and his whole purpose because sometimes in daily life we forget that, we yeah, forget our salvation. So good. Give, us a, give, you, give our hearers a little insight into what you've done. What you've done there is a beautiful little devotion. Yeah. You've taken six verses and you've written your own personal devotion to encourage yourself out of it. I mean, yes, you're writing it for us, but but I can see that's what you that's how you would study the Bible. So what's your thought pattern as you read a passage like that? What do you go through to help our listeners go, how do I read this myself? Okay, well, before I even open the Bible, <coughs> I pray. Yep. So I say, Lord, um, write whatever you want to say to me on my heart because there's no, no point writing it on my mind. You need to write it on my heart. Right. So then um, I will act out what I've read. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I do, I have a journal. I'm a journaler. I have thousands of them. Um, but basically what I do is I would read a scripture and then I would meditate on it. So I would sit there and I go, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? How can I use this? And and then um, I would just write whatever comes to my mind that would come from that verse, which is what I've done today. Um, and it just helps me. And I do go back through my journals. Yep. I read because it is really interesting to see how God moves. Like I actually write write in here too if I've done a prayer. Yes, yeah, so you're writing prayers about write, that situation yeah, for whatever you're facing right now. I pray right as now. well. Wonderful. Yeah, I pray and then I go back to that prayer and I go, 
God answered that. Yeah, this is beautiful. how he answered it. And it, that gives me hope. Yep. Constantly gives me hope. It may not be the way that I expected him to answer me. It often isn't, is it? But, but it's better. Yeah, it's right. It's often better. Yeah. And it's sometimes, you know, when you're going through the darkness, it's it's harsher. So, mm. yeah. So, yes, I am a journaler and I, I do, yeah. do. Well, I would money. recommend journaling for that reason. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but for what you said there, especially in light of what we were saying about how, God, you did it before, you can do it again. And yes. so being able to go back and say, oh, I was in this situation, mm. something similar. God came through for me and be able to, because by journaling it and reflecting on it, you you recapture those emotions, the tension that you felt at that time, the doubts and the faith that you were walking through, don't you? So yes. that's, that's so superb. You. So it that's does. why I always started at the beginning of the year. So I always pray You got God. a new one at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I pray at the beginning of the year and I say, Lord, give me a verse to yep. take me through the year. Yep. Uh, last year, actually, my verse was hope. Yeah, it was all okay. about hope. Yep. So I sung about hope. I read about hope. I was all about hope last year because we're all coming out of COVID. Yes. Um, re-establishing ourselves. And so that was our focus. That's yep. brilliant. That's so, that's so good. I love the way you did that too because you, you prayed first, then you sat down and let the scripture speak to you and then we'll let God speak to you through the scripture, didn't you? So yes. that's a really good way to do it. I mean, there would have been key thoughts because I, I don't want to do the whole thing again, but I go back and listen to what Leonie said because you'll see there were parallels in what you'd written that were directly linked to that little prayer, yeah. little song. Just a little song. Where certain, uh, certain something, there was a line you said that stuck out to me. Lord, went, Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord has become myself. It was something you wrote in your poem as you were reading it. As you, in that statement you read that stuck to me. And I went, I can see the direct link between how God has used that scripture on pa- words on a page and made it alive in your heart there. Don't worry about it. I can't remember which one it was. but There was a lot of them. That's what the word of God will do. It's it's words on a page. It's logos on a page. The word means, lo- the Greek word logos just means literally words, mm-hmm. but um, becomes rima, which is a revelation on the inside of us when it, um, it settles in our heart. Yeah. And so, yeah, let the word... Uh, speak to you prayerfully, ask God to show you from the word, just like you did. Mm. That's that's a great pattern to let these little passages um, do something inside of us. All right, okay. we're going to head to the New Testament now. We are. Da, 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 da. Okay, Pastor Rowan, we're on our way home, so we're on the New Testament now. Yeah, we're in the beginning, first chapter we of the New are. Testament. So this is Matthew 1. So, But uh, in my Bible, there's this little excerpt at the top, Pastor Rowan, if you permit me to read that. Go ahead. Have you ever waited with anticipation for something only to find that when it came, it was not what you wanted at all? The long-awaited birth of the Messiah is recorded in Matthew 1 and 2. The nation of Israel waited for centuries for God's anointed king to be born. What a wonderful day that would would have, was was to be. Jesus' birth, however, was not greeted with royal gladness by the nation and its leaders. Instead, there was intrigue and conflict. The political and religious establishment felt threatened by the coming of the <coughs> Messiah. It was left to the foreign leaders to welcome the newborn king. I thought that was very interesting. They were all waiting for him. But they, they had missed all the scripture and they missed it. That's right. Like and, and and if we see like all the disciples, they were all fishermen and people that they're ordinary people. They were ordinary people. Yeah, that's yeah, right. So and they, the shepherds were ordinary. And they were ordinary. Ordinary shepherds. Right. The lower class. The, yeah, yeah, they were the lowest among the There was the only classes. three kings that were smart enough to see it. We don't know if there were three. 
Ah, we don't. I only know. Oh, yeah, I did read that. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Considering how meticulous me and Pastor Ron were saying how meticulous Matthew was, yes. which in the chosen he's portrayed as an autistic yes, he um, is. Yep. fella, which yep. is when you read the scriptures, yep. he is quite detailed. There were three gifts. Doesn't mean there were three. There may have been, but right. we don't know that. Could have been just one guy with three could gifts. Have, well, it's, it's plural. Magi is plural. So yeah. there's at least two. Yeah, there's at least there two. There could have been 22. We don't could know. Could have been. All we know is that you know, it's a different story, but all we know is that are we, are we doing that story? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, well, let's save it till we get there then. There is a story. This yep. story is this, which is. Let's see Matthew 2, isn't it? I think. Yes. Yeah, okay. Matthew let's two. do when we get there. Okay. All right, carry on. So <coughs> we first of all go through all the genealogy from Abraham all the way to King David and then all the way to. To Jesus Christ. What I thought was interesting, and I'm just going to We're not going to make you read them all, are we? No, <laughs> I'm not going to read them all. You can read them, um, people that are listening. I'm sure you'll enjoy that. I so, know a lot of them off the top of my head, actually. Do you? Okay. Mm. All right, off you go. Where will we start? Um, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, yep. the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of uh, uh, Judah and his brothers. Um, and then it'll say Judah was the father of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. I'm not looking at my notes. That's Ram, the father well. of Aminadab. Yep. Aminadab, Nashon. Nashon, Salmon. Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Boaz, Obed, Obed Jesse, Jesse, Don't forget David, whose mother was Rahab. Uh, whose mother was Rahab. That's mm. correct. That's the other woman that's listed in there. Um, we've got to David. Yep. Then I think Matthew's line tracks through Solomon. Uh, so it'll be Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah. I'm going to get a bit lost in here. Abijah, yeah, Asa, Jehoshaphat. Did yep. I? Get, yep, Jehoshaphat. Um, you lost a few. You missed a few in there. Yeah. Who's that? Uh, Z- yeah, Zodak. So, Zodak was interesting. Z- who is it? Zodak. He okay. was the father of Zodak. Okay. Then yeah. Akim. Yeah. And Uled. Okay, so there's a few in there. Yeah, there's a few so I can get Isaiah, the father of Jotham. Yep. Jotham, the father of Has, Has, the father of Hezekiah. So they're the ones that just in, we talked about in Isaiah. They're the ones that we know. We, they're the ones that we yeah. know, yeah, because they're the ones in Isaiah. Yes. Uh, Hezekiah, Manasseh. Yep. Then Jotham. 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 Yep. And then Josiah. Yep. And then, and then there's the exile kings, which keep changing between sons and uncles. Yes, that uh, was the middle Z- bit. Zedekiah and. Uh, he changed his name to Zedekiah and whatever. And then oh, I'm lost after the exile. Then we go. Uh, yeah, Zerubbabel. Nathan was the father of Jacob, which Jacob was the father of Joseph, which is I found really interesting. Yes. Because it's like it's like the reverse scripture. Because think about it. There's Jacob in the Old yes, Testament yes. who birthed, who had, uh, who had, had a, Joseph. Yes, had a Joseph. So That's I correct. thought that yep. is really interesting That's how right. his dad's name was Jacob. Yep, it does. So, it was indeed. It's yeah, a and then the husband of Mary and then Jesus Christ. But what I found was interesting, again, these numbers, 14, 14. Oh, yes. So it's 14 to yep. King David, then 14 again to Jesus Christ. Yep, 14 from Abraham to David, 14 from yes. David to the exile, and 14 from the exile yeah, to Jesus. Yeah, it's all these numbers yep. again. Very correct. mathematical, this scriptures. It, especially, I mean, you can go into a whole rabbit hole on this stuff. It is pretty amazing, this genealogy. So what does 14 stand for? 14 is just uh, two lots of seven. So oh, it's, okay. So, so you've got to think seven. Yes it's, it's, yes, it's just God's number there. But the the occurrence, there's a guy called Ivan Pannon who spent his whole life, he's a Russian immigrant to the United States, and he spent his whole life looking at occurrences of the numbers in the text in the original okay. Greek. And uh, it, the num- the references to the names in this genealogy uh, will blow your mind. You oh, just wow. Google, won't do it now, Google Ivan Pannon, just some, to show how the Holy Spirit was orchestrating it. There's no way, no matter how meticulous Matthew was, there's no way he could have put together this list of names with the references to the number, the references the like the number seven. There's number seven numbers of words that have 
seven vowels in them or a, or, um, a multiple of seven, the number of times that the, there are a word without vowels and all, the list goes on and on and on with yeah. all these references Mathematical. to seven. Sorry, I just thought I would take that yeah. reference. So all those mathematicians out there. Yes, you can do that. You can go there. Have fun with that. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, so then we're going down all that. And, and that, was, that was all intentional on Matthew's part because mm. Matthew is writing his gospel. <coughs> excuse me. He's writing his gospel to Jews. Ah, right. So his genealogy is very Jewish. Yes. So it starts, for instance, with Abraham. It is very. So he's done that on purpose. He wants to convince his Jewish audience that that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So he will start. He doesn't go. Doesn't worry about Adam. He starts with Abraham. Yeah. Luke will do a different gospel, a different genealogy in Luke two, and he will do it backwards. He'll start with Jesus yeah. and work back up the line, but he'll he'll go up. He doesn't go up through the. He doesn't go up through the same line. From the exile, but once he gets to the exile or to David, it's actually once he gets to David, he does the line back through Abraham, but he actually takes it all the way back yeah. to Jesus, to Adam. He yeah, she says, uh, Seth, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So he's intentionally now, Luke's writing to a Gentile audience, he's trying to show that Jesus is the Messiah for everybody. Mm. And that's why he tracks it all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Adam. So there's the, there's intentionality in because these. Because that's when all the split happened. Exactly, yeah. That's when the Jewish Jews line. Jews went one and line and, and then exactly. you had the Gentile yeah, line. So he's trying to encompass it. But Matthew's writing to Jews. So, he's, so he every Jewish, he's trying Abraham. to say, this, this Jesus, he's your Messiah. Let yeah. me show you how. Because he came from Abraham, so he's very meticulous. He's very that. meticulous, correct. Yeah, so that's why I, it actually states it here. Thus there was 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, and then yeah, he states it. Yep. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came. So then we're going to go through how the actual birth and why it's meticulous mm. that it is done this way. So then we came to Jesus came to be through a virgin and that Joseph even, though he, mar- he married Mary, had no union with her. So it was really important that Mary was a virgin and pure yep. and that this child came through. So um, just recently I went to a Catholic church and they did the Nicene's Creed yep. and my friend was astonished that I knew it so well. Oh, yeah. Well, you were raised an Anglican too, was, so you I knew it through yeah, there. I knew it through there yeah. as well. But we have also said it in our yes, church. Yes, we have. We're yep. a very it's unusual f- Pentecostal oh, church. Yeah. Well, not, not so much these. I mean, Pentecostals are starting to realise they need some theology these days. They do, <laughs> I know. So we have meat and potatoes as well yeah, as all the fun right, and exactly. everything of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So, yeah, so this basically this uh, Matthews one is just going through the account and just whatever's in the Nicene's Creed, it pretty much... Make sure. So I think we said verse 2, was it 2, 11, on coming to the house, um, he saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down. Oh, this was interesting. This, you know the Magi? What verse is that? Uh, this is, uh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Uh, verse 11. Uh, this was, I I outlined it because a lot of people. Are you in chapter 2? I'm in chapter 2. Ah, uh, we're so we've jumped to chapter 2. Yeah. Okay. Oh, did I jump to chapter 2? Oh, okay. No worries. No, no look, we can, you got it all together. You've got Matthew 1 I and have, 2 in I've your notes. I have. blended it together. Oh, that's easy. We'll just do Matthew 1 and 2 as a single segment. Carry yeah, on, folks. Sorry about that. You'll, you'll miss out on a musical interlude. We'll just carry on because you're right. It is one story. So it let's, does. Let's it actually just, do just It just rolls into each other. Yep. Let's just carry on. I rolled it. Yeah, so it, sorry exactly. About that. No, that's all good. Nope. So, yeah, so it does actually, again, states that she was a virgin and the, the birth um, will be given a child and will give birth to the son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, because Joseph was not going to marry Mary, 
he, yeah, he was, was going to do the right he thing. Was going to div- well, he thought it was. What he thought was the right thing. Yeah, the divorce thing. her nice and quietly yep. um, because he thought she'd done the wrong thing. So imagine that. Mm. Imagine poor Mary. Oh, you absolutely. Know I mean? She's a young girl. She's, she's a young girl and now she has this stigma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was actually um, something at Christmas last year that sort of outlined that of the stigma that Mary would have gone through. Mm. It was very interesting. And then the actual fact that Joseph would have gone through the same stigma by Abs- taking her yep. as his wife. So yep. again, like you said, it's darkness first. Yep. And then the hope. That's so, right. So, um, yeah, and then the hope shines out. So that to me was was verse, was chapter one, yep. was just explaining that and how important it is that she was a virgin when she birthed Jesus and that there was no union between her yep. and Joseph. So what, so the important thing for our listeners there is that, well, it was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah's the virgin prophecy. shall be with, with child. Um, and it, it is important because of the fact that it was the Holy Spirit that overshadowed uh, Mary and impregnated uh, the Messiah into her so that there wasn't that um, that corruption of sin. Basically, no. that's why it's important because that's what that. this is this is fundamental to our doctrine, why hence why it's in the creeds mm. that uh, it's the it's the virgin birth that gives Jesus his sinlessness. He hasn't inherited that that sinfulness that um, that uh, comes. Mm. In that way, yeah, that's right. So that's why that was really important for this. But it rolls over into verse um, to chapter two, which is why I jumped. So yep. I do apologise to the listeners, but I jumped because um, often we depict uh, the whole stable thing, and we have the three wise men's there. But yep. in reading scriptures, you actually discover that they actually came quite some time later. Yep, could like have even been a couple of years later. later. Yeah, quite some time yeah, later right. because we like to throw these nativity scenes into one thing, but they're not necessarily like that. We do, and the thing is, is that it's also stated in um, chapter two. On coming to the house, they saw the child was with his mother, so it was a house that they were in, and they bowed down and worshipped him. In this small piece of scripture. We see so much fulfilled of scripture regarding Jesus. Out of Jesus I call my son. So it actually says that in... Um, out of Egypt, yep. Yeah, out of Egypt. So there you go, because that's where he told him to go. And through the prophet Jeremiah, that was told through the prophet Jeremiah, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping. This is again from the Old Testaments. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to com- to be comforted because they are no more. So that is um, referring to when Herod killed all those children two years and under Bethlehem. That's right. So that was a really good reference because it tells you that these um, these magi, magi came a long. They time came after. from a lot. Yep, that's right. Long exactly. Time after. I mean, it, it seems to indicate that. You know, there's a good couple of years there mm. because he's trying to, you know, he he, he wants to make sure. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that Herod, it could have been three months ago and Herod's just going, I'm just going to make sure I'm going to kill two babies up to two years old. But it seems like he's just, it's a good period of time and he's wants to be sure yeah. that he's killed the Messiah or so he thinks. So I think it's actually amazing that we think that only the star ever shone just when he was born, but it sounds like the star remained. Yes, it does. In his life. There's a lot of conjecture about what this star is and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, different people have different perspectives, so I, I don't presume to be an expert. We can't go beyond what it says in the scripture with any kind of confident assurance, but there does seem to be this sense of, 
This star's hanging around for a while. Mm. Yeah. So the glory of him was was settled on mm. where he was. So mm. yeah, yeah. So obviously they made a life for themselves a year or so yeah. into. And there is some born. good evidence just on the Magi. Like, like we said, we don't know how many they were, mm. but these people came from the east. They were likely from Babylon or that part of the world. And there's a lot of evidence that they may have actually been descendants of or, or of the order that that Daniel who lived in Babylon, uh, you know, 500 years True. before yeah. and rose up through the echelons okay. of Babylon. He was a Magi. That's what they were. They were the, um, they were the, like the religious advisors and yeah. they did involve, there was aspects of d- divination in the stars and all that kind of stuff. Somehow D- Daniel as a prophet for the Lord rose up through the ranks of what was probably a pagan court, a religious well, definitely court was. and dragged people across to himself and taught them and they learned from it. So you think it and might have been like people I actually him. think that's prof- – yeah, I think there's been some good evidence that these guys could have been descendants of that order, almost like they're holding on to that promise from Daniel's day that there will come this one and they're looking for it in the stars and and they see this star arising and they would have been – so these guys would have been astrologers really. They yeah, were, they were because they were watching ba- the stars. Basically watching the stars. Mm. But it's a mix – in those days it's not all – just religious astrology. It's, it's mixed with astronomy. They were working out how the stars moved and all that. And there's a lot of that kind of um, blending of astrology and astronomy. But it sounds strange. And as Christians, you know, we're not supposed to consult the stars and so on. That's definitely there. But there was a sense in which these guys, through limited understanding, God still was able to speak to them and drag them across the world through probably a thousand kilometers to head them west to find. Jesus. It's extraordinary. Yeah, and they, they wouldn't have found him if they didn't see the star. No, that's right. Exactly. They didn't God have the was address. working. They didn't have a GS. They yeah. didn't have a GPS. No, no, no. That. That's right. They were it using the work. stars. It's a great story. Yeah, so I yeah, this is really good. And it was it's it is it is even more sad when you hear about the reaping and the great mourning because that was a great loss. You know, yes. that was a very dark time when all those children were killed. Well that's the bit that we take out of the Christmas story. We like to make it all pretty and proper, but this is a dark time in Bethlehem. Mm. Absolutely. It was very dark. But we know, then it says, called um, a Nazarene. So that was when he came back um, during that chapter from Egypt. Yep. And he came back, but he was worried about going to this certain back part of Judea. Back to Judea, which yeah. is the southern area of Israel. Yeah, That's right. But he was worried about that. So he actually went to Nazareth, which mm-hmm. we know um, Nazareth was a little bit dodgy. Is that right? It wasn't such a great place. Uh, it was just a, a backwater town. Backwater town. Uh, okay. It's a big, you go there now, it's a, it's quite a big Arab town these days, but yes, it was just a backwater village really up in the north because Nathaniel actually says when he finds that we found Jesus, the Messiah and from Nazareth and Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just an ordinary town. So yes. uh, yeah, there's no, nothing that would be appealing about this little town on the side of Mount Tabor. Again, it just to. goes through the humility. Of yes, Jesus it goes again. back to just Jesus being an ordinary bloke living in an ordinary town. Yes. Yes, exactly. So there you go. So that's why he became Jesus of Nazareth. That's he, right. he spent his, it would appear he spent most of his childhood, uh, probably from those earliest years, all the way through until he started his ministry living in Nazareth. Exactly. Yeah. So, yep. So I'm finished with actually. That's it for Matthew, is it? We got yeah, one. chapter one and two. Uh, yes. Oh, no. Is that it or is there one more? No, no was, that's it. There was one and two. I did them together. Okay, great. All right, we'll move on. We'll move on. Right, we're heading to John 1. We have a fire inspection happening here, so the lights just went out on us, but we've still got spotties above our heads. So if you're watching on YouTube over there, hello. You should still be able to see us, and uh, 
we'll just carry on. If we, if Charlie, the fire inspector, needs us, he'll interrupt us. But other than that, we'll just oh, keep going. All right, Soldier Pastor on. Owen, we are in Chapter 1 of John, and it's the classic verse. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So I've actually highlighted this because it's quite interesting, it's quite significant, because um, I think it was one of your sermons, you actually said to us that the word is actually Jesus Yes. And he was with God in the beginning. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I won't make a reference, but my boys, there's um, a gentleman that reads in YouTube and he calls it the beginning. It's quite funny, actually. <laughs> the beginning. Yeah, he has a trouble with the word, the word beginning. beginning. Yes, but it's funny. But he's very sincere. But um, how would John know all this to write it down? This is where I felt the Holy Spirit really spoke to John. Uh, yes, so I've always felt that John's writings – were very different perspective to all the other apostles. Yes. And because he writes like Jesus speaks pretty much uh, with a very heavenly speech, John is telling the story of John the Baptist in this whole yes, um, yes, chapter. Yes, yes, that's right. Yep. So, yeah, so I, I actually, um, yeah, and when I read John, I think I have to reflect more because oh, of the definitely. way he's, he's, much deeper. he's very poetic and yep. very, you know, like you read one line and you're like, Okay, there's a lot in that line. So there's more to it. Yep. You know, just that very bit in the beginning, the word. It waxes poetic right from the start, doesn't it? It does straight yep. away. Like yep. if you look at the other, like if you ever compare um, Gospels, you'll see there's such a difference um, in the way he speaks. Yeah, well, there's only a, there's only a handful of stories that overlap. Mm. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Yes. Uh, obviously the crucifixion. Yep. Uh, there might be one other miracle that's overlapping, but other than that, they're all separate stories. They're very similar. Um, yes. The other three... Yep. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all synoptic gospels, meaning they're all they call them the synoptics because the word's synonymous. They're all very similar. Yeah, uh, and there's different conjecture about which one was written first, but probably uh, I, th- I think I used to think it was Mark. I think people used to think it was Mark. I'm I'm less so sure about that now. But they were written and probably were riffing off each other. Whereas John is probably writing his later in life as an older man. He was the young disciple. Yeah. Um, so he's probably writing this later at life. And he he's he very much is waxing poetic. He's thinking very re- reflectively back. He's had all these years of church leadership and ministry behind him by the time he's writing his gospel. And so it's very, um, it's very poetic, very deep, very rich in meaning. And so he, you said, where does he get this knowledge from, it's exactly that. It's revelation. It's revelation yeah. from God's word. But I feel that he's also maybe spoken to the other disciples as well. Oh, yeah. Well, he was there. Yeah. He yeah. was He was one of the ones who walked there. You'll see that. And he walked there a lot because yeah, he Jesus actually, pulled him along to a lot of things. That's because he was there a lot. In fact, you'll yeah. say later this is the you know the, the disciple who wrote this down. He talks, you know, doesn't put himself in the first person. Yeah. Um, but he says, I am the disciple who Jesus loved, you know, yes. that kind of often. thing. So often. Often, yeah. <coughs> so, um all right. Yeah, it seems that Jesus, that John is has this personal relationship with Jesus, and he reflects back. And incidentally, I should add here: this is you know, we started Matthew with genealogy, mm. and I mentioned Luke having yes. a genealogy. This is really a genealogy too. It is, isn't it? This is a genealogy of the, in the beginning. In the beginning, this is this, this is, is the word. This is gene- Jesus's um, not human genealogy. This is his heavenly. 
his He's eternal genealogy. Yeah, this is him as in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, he was with the with the father from the start. Yeah, that's right. And you're supposed to read that straight away. Think Genesis one. This is a well, you, I do. Yes, exactly. I do think that's true. And especially this part. This is where you made the reference with him being Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Mm. And we know now that Jesus was the only one that became flesh. Yep. So we know that that's why where the reference comes to him being the Word from the beginning. That's correct. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I found that also. That's such a good promise. Mm. So, yeah, so exactly what you said. It's um, a genealogy of his spiritual Yep, his eternal beginnings. Mm. The one without beginning, I suppose, because it says in the beginning the word already existed, it says in my version. So it's like before the beginning – he, he, existed he existed anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, before and, he and John will pick down. up on that time and time again in his gospel. He'll do that in John 8 when he's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, I think it's John 8, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Yes. So he's always talking. John's very thinking about the the heavenly, the eternal aspect of the Son yeah. of God. So that's where he's, um, <coughs> his gospel is very different to the others because <coughs> the way it's um, presented, it's very different. Yeah. So, um, Je- John testifies concerning him. See, that's where his reference is to himself. No, this is now he's now he's it looks like that, but he's now referring to John the Baptist. Oh, that's right, that's right. Because yeah, so I did, I read that. And yeah, I went, you, is he talking I, about himself? No, he's and, not talking about and himself. And then I realized John the Baptist. Yes, it was the yep. reference to John. But is John the Baptist's church? Oh, I had a question for you, yeah, okay. but I'll, I'll read, read this first yep. bit. So, this is um, John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So you've got all these references and it says, From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So again, it's God making... um, us aware of Jesus, of who he is. He's made him known. And true Jesus, God is known. Yes, exactly. And John will pick that up later in his gospel. He'll say, yes. to, he'll say to Philip and Nathaniel, Philip and Thomas, I think he'll say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And he constantly says it. Constantly <coughs> says it. So now this was John's testimony. When the Jews of the Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah. There we go. The prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. So I've highlighted that because yep. that's pretty cool. It is cool. It's so, a great prophecy. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so I, yeah, so he baptized with water, but he said, among you stands one who you do not know. He constantly refers to Jesus as someone they do not know. Yes. Because he's speaking to the Pharisees, isn't he? Uh, well, he's speaking, yes. I mean, he's answering. He says now the, some he, of the Pharisees. Yeah, it's right. The crowds, the picture I have is that the crowds are all still there, but the Pharisees have come down to the waterside and they're checking him out because, you know, there's a bit of an uprising happening here. What's yeah. going on? And he's talking to them and saying, yeah, you know, the one you're looking for, he's here. You just yeah. don't know him. And he says, you don't know. Yes. So they don't know what he looks like. They, they don't, don't know, know where he is. No, because at this point, Jesus hasn't launched his ministry. He hasn't revealed himself. Jesus, John the Baptist is actually the one who's preparing the way for the ministry. 
okay. uh, of Jesus. And Jesus will call him that. He says, the Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom and the one who attends the bridegroom. He refers to John the Baptist as like the best man. Yes. He's saying he's introducing, he's going to introduce the bridegroom. And that's what he does. That's and what says, he does. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might reveal to Israel. Yep. Okay, so that's sort of, that's the reason why he was doing it. Like you said, he's an introduction. Yeah, he's introducing Jesus. This is a question a little bit off the path. Is the Baptist Church based on the follower of John the Baptist? Um, Do you know anything about that? Is the Baptist Church based? No, the Baptist Church is based on the concept of baptism as an as in the whole entirety, as in the whole concept of Christian baptism. Okay, which began with John the Baptist. Yep, and then was was morphed through. Their history dates back through. I think most Baptists would say that they track the history back through a, a group that lived in the Middle Ages or in the early church called the Anabaptists. And what okay. they were was fairly early on in the church, uh, fairly early in church history, they removed the, the, the what's the word I'm after, the institutional church, yep. whether that was the Roman Catholic or whatever, they moved away from baptism by submersion to the sprinkling of baptism and, they, and the fact that, you know, children were baptized. And so there was always this small subset sect of Christians, the Anabaptists, who held to, you know, baptism was always supposed to be via immersion and it was always supposed to be for believers. And so... What do you believe? Um, oh, I would hold to believers' baptism. So we would we would hold the same view of baptism that... Full uh, immersion. The full immersion has. Yeah. But I don't, I don't hold to it so religiously. Some of those Anabaptists were persecuted for their faith and they would have seen those that didn't believe in baptism by immersion as heretic. I wouldn't say that. I I think that there is good reason biblically to believe in baptism by immersion, but I wouldn't lose sleep over it. In Um, other words, you wouldn't put your life on it. I wouldn't put my life on it and I wouldn't um, wouldn't send a break company with people who have a different perspective on it. Because what's more important to me is what baptism symbolises. So the question I wanted to ask you, just sorry, because no, we're just, on. you're right. I was just making sure that the fire fire escape guy wasn't there. Oh. <laughs> baptism. Mm-hmm. I know there is a water baptism, and then there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Now, does that happen in one consecutive Good go? Good question. Good question. Because I've been asked this question many times. Yes. The reason being, this is going to throw you a curly one, is that when I was baptized by water, immediately yep. after they baptized me with the Holy Spirit. Right. And immediately after, I spoke in tongues, yep, yep. like immediately. Um, and then it was about four weeks later, didn't speak in it during that time. And then all of a sudden I was in a church service and it came out of me and I didn't even know it was there. Right. So, and and when I speak in tongues, it's purely personal for me. Yep, okay. Yep. Um, and I did some research on it and there's there's all different types of gifts of tongues. Yep. Um, yes, it's not the most be end and end all, but it seems to be like a labelling of being baptised in the Holy Spirit. Not so much the water, yep. but more so the Holy Spirit. Is, is that, is that, sorry, I'm yeah, no, that's, a, that's a curly a, one. No, not, that's not a curly one at all. Um, in fact, we touched on some of that with Jeannie. So you can go back, you go back a while back, several several months back, probably in about uh, May or June, something like that. Mm. In the early stages, we were doing the Holy Spirit. So we had a, a round table around that. So um, what I was saying back then was that I, I, I can 
now say, a bit like I just did with water baptism, I know what official Pentecostal theology is on this point. Yeah. Um, and I would still hold to that because I think that makes the most sense. That said, I am very flexible. I think we have become guilty of trying to compartmentalize and put everything in a logical order and a sequence and say it has to be A followed by B followed by C. Because that's uh, ritualistic. And that becomes ritualistic. I think yeah. we can look at it and go most often A will follow, B will follow A and C will follow B. But I think God God seems to delight in busting our boxes. And so what I would say is that, um, is that baptism in the spirit, this is official Pentecostal doctrine, baptism in the spirit is not the same as baptism in water. It can happen at the same time as baptism in water. Baptism in water could happen first. Baptism in the spirit could happen first. So mm-hmm. they they symbolize different things. The word baptize means to immerse. Yeah. That's hence partly why I believe in immersion because that's what the word means. Yeah. Um, and I don't want a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. I want to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I do. So completely that's cleansed. Completely. That's right. Yeah. All, <coughs> um, Give it all. So when it comes to tongues, uh, I think, official Pentecostal theology is that the that speaking in tongues is the sign of being baptized in the spirit. That is that um, just like you described, you were baptized in the spirit and you spoke in tongues, that that is like the, the, um, the sign that points to the fact it's the indicator, just like in the old Testament circumcision was the indicator of the covenant. It's like, it's the indicator that you've been baptized in the spirit. Now, while I hold to that as sound doctrine, I wouldn't become as emphatic about it. In other words, I think it's possible for people to be filled with the Spirit and not speak in tongues. Because mm. um, I know a lot of people that are filled with the Spirit, but they don't speak in well, tongues. Well, the, the, the question then begs is, what does being filled with the Spirit look like and what does it do? So the official doctrine would say, well, it's the sign because everything else happens internally mm. and it's something that happens externally, which lets people see that the person has been filled with the Spirit. Because I look for people's fruits. Okay, so, so yeah, so there's a fruitfulness, right? So yeah. that, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. So you can see when you start compartmentalizing this, you start yeah. to go, well, is the fruit different to the baptism? Yeah, can a person <laughs> have the fruit of the Spirit would not be baptized in the Spirit? All I can say is looking at the book of Acts as they're figuring this out, uh, I think there seems to be a sense in which something tangible is happening when a person is baptized in the Spirit. Yeah. I don't think – it doesn't seem to be that fruit – is the evidence of baptism in the spirit because fruit takes time to develop. That's right. And I know, like you, I know lots of godly people producing beautiful fruit in their life who who wouldn't speak in tongues and wouldn't, even some of them who wouldn't even believe in the supernatural. They would believe, mm. oh, the, those supernatural know, gifts of have yep. died away with the apostles. You know, yep. they would be cessationists. I don't agree with that, but good godly people. On the same time, I, I can think of people who would speak in tongues and be doing all the supernatural stuff, but their fruit is just a mess. They just live in a life that doesn't rep- doesn't represent God well. So yeah. it's not like, oh, being baptized in the Spirit is some mark of um, success in Christianity or some, some kind yeah, of – a lot of people um, put those marks on people. And that's the problem. And mm. that's where it becomes unchristlike. Yeah. So what I would say is you read, read through the book of Acts, it seems like when people were filled with the Spirit, something supernatural was happening. Yeah. So uh, – the apostles go to Jerusalem. They go to to Samaria, and and it says there when Philip's laying hands on them, they're receiving the Holy Spirit. Something supernatural's happened because there's a sorcerer guy who goes, "I want what you've got." He sees this mm. when he saw that the laying on of hands brought the baptism in the Spirit. He offered the money and said, "I want that gift." Yeah, too. he did. So yeah, something Simon. supernatural is happening. Yeah. So that's why I think whatever it looks like, whatever it is, it seems like 
Um, when a person is filled, baptized in the spirit, there yep. is a supernatural component to it. So something's happening. Something is happening that's significant. But if you just stop there and it doesn't produce fruit in your life, that then helps others. Because Paul will go on in 1 Corinthians and he will say all this supernatural stuff, it's all for the building up of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. If you speak in tongues and it's not do, do these miracles, and things, like that's right. And if you do all these things and you haven't got love, he says, it's like, you know, what's it's the, the wedding chapter. It's a, it's mm. a clang gong and a clashing symbol. Yeah, so, so Paul will point? make the point of saying, hey, you can have the supernatural stuff, but if you are representing Jesus, if you're not loving your, your brothers and sisters, if you're not loving the world, you might as well not have the supernatural stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't make you a more successful Christian. In fact, it's a gift. They're gifts for the benefit of other people. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's probably shifting off your point a little bit, but I think it is recognizing that we should be seeking Holy Spirit gifts Yep. but not for ourselves. For others. For others. Mm. And we should want to be filled with the Spirit. Um, if you were baptised originally in the water, because yep. um, in our church we get baptised with water, but we get baptised with the Holy Spirit too, don't we? Yes, yep, yep. Okay, yep. So because my whole family has been baptised in our church in yep. C3 Picton, yep. so including my foster sons. Yep. So they would have received the Holy Spirit at the same uh, time? Not necessarily. Um, they're two different things. So we need to see them as two. So like, should I get them re Baptized. Uh, you don't need to be baptized in water to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's probably the link is what you're getting at. Okay. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit separate from being baptized in water. Sometimes it happens at the same time. It didn't for me. Okay. In fact, I think I was probably baptized in the Spirit, speaking in tongues before I was baptized in water. But I've known people who have been baptized in water, faithful Christians, who've, who've many years later before they've spoken in tongues. Mm. So they don't think that just the word baptized there doesn't mean it's the same act. So mm. definitely wouldn't advocate – if someone's been baptised in water, there's no point in being baptised in water again in order to be filled with the Spirit or baptised in the okay. Spirit. The way to be baptised in the Spirit is to wait on God and ask him for good gifts and, and then step out in faith and uh, ask – for instance, speaking in tongues, ask God to open your mouth and speak in tongues or ask God to give you um, gifts when you pray for people, ask God to give you words of knowledge and so on that you can use for other people. So you're asking God for the supernatural you're asking for other people. For, yes. The, I, I, Lord, fill me so I can be a blessing to others. See, that to me is very practical. That's practical. It's, yeah. This is the problem that the Apostle Paul had in Corinth. This, these wood guys were a deeply supernatural people from their pagan faith. They become Christians, so they were very open to the thing, things of the Spirit. They were used to that. Mm. But their whole exercise of the spiritual things was all selfish. It was all for themselves. Yeah, it wasn't for others. It wasn't for others. And so Paul is very strong going, what's the point? Yeah. So I would say, you know, in the case of your family, if they're not baptised in the spirit where they're, where they're speaking in tongues and they're, they're believing for supernatural, then seek, encourage them to seek God. Yeah, and if, which they do. Which they do. And keep doing that. Keep yeah. seeking God. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Um, we should be desiring these gifts for the benefit of others. Because um, Tristan, which is my foster son, he actually wants to um, he wants to rebaptize because he he just didn't feel his heart yep. was right or he understood it. Yep, I'm totally – that's a different issue. I'm totally yeah. fine so with he, that. His has nothing to do with the whole spirit. His nope. is yep. just – now he feels he's mature and he's yeah. ready for this. Yeah, that's wonderful. I actually think that's fine. I think you might get some streams of the Christian church and uh, maybe some Baptists. I don't want to put – or a few Baptist friends, I don't really know whether or not what they would think on that, but some some might go, well, I, you get baptised once and that's it. Mm. Um, I don't have a hard and fast rule on that. I think that 
uh, a revelation, a personal understanding is important, an important part of baptism. Yeah. Uh, so, so sorry I'd to say, dwell on this. No, so that's fine. So I'd say in that case, definitely, I'd encourage, I'd encourage um, Tristan to do that. I would say if a person feels like they were baptized, as a, I was baptized as an infant in the Anglican church. But yeah. then I so was I. So and, and I've known people who've been baptized as infants who who don't go and get baptized as an adult um, when they be you know join a Pentecostal or a Baptist church or whatever. Um, once again, I wouldn't lose sleep over it, but I would encourage it. I think it's a different kind of baptism. A baptism is supposed to be something that we do ourselves to signify to, uh, uh, to our faith, an awareness of our own revelation yep. of our relationship with God. Yeah, that's what the, this baptism John is doing here. There's a lot of significance in this baptism. He is, he's at the Jordan River. He is doing what they, he's basically calling Israel back to its roots because mm. they started their journey across the Jordan River into take they the did. promised land at this very spot. Yep. And he's talked them back to their roots to say, it's time to form a new Israel. And he picked up a practice, which was very common, ritualistic bathing, um, is, was cleansing. A, cleansing. It was yeah. a very common thing. In fact, some Jews, the Essenes, for instance, they did it multiple times a day. Uh, when you go to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you can see these baths down and the they cleanse, yeah. And they literally, before they went in the temple, they would walk down one side and they would walk up the other. It was a very common practice. Very much. So John the Baptist um, took a practice they understood and then repurposed it again just for a one-time baptism to say, coming back to Come start back again. To the Lord. And the Christians picked up John the Baptist's baptism took it again and applied it to Christ. And that's the baptism that we, in that one we form know. or another, continue today. Ah, okay. Sorry sorry to dwell on this. No, that's a really good question. I like that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we might actually do a, a study, on, a, a conversation on the study on of baptism. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a big topic. Probably there's a lot more people would have written PhDs on it. There's a lot more we could say than that, but hopefully that covered a, bit, a little bit. So just um, in this, this one was the longest one, wasn't it? How was it that John gives an account of John the Baptist when he was not one of his disciples? Uh, good question. Would he have gotten it from the Holy Spirit or an account from Andrew or Philip who were disciples of John? I would go with that one. Yeah, because it does actually mention it here in John 1, 35 to 37. The, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. So it actually mentions it in yep. NIV. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of the God, Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. There was two disciples. Jesus started. Oh, this is this is a chosen, so it's all speculative. So we won't yes. we won't go on there. But um, yeah, so he actually mentioned two disciples in the Bible. Yes, and he then he says, "I was going to ask you who were those disciples, but then when I read on verse forty, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of them. Yep. As soon as Jesus met Simon, this was really interesting because I'm not sure what scripture or what gospel actually talks about where Jesus met Simon, you know, fishing and tells him to go uh, out again. I think so it's I thought one of the other gospels, met, I think. Uh, it, I thought he met this way, but in John it actually say, states this. As soon as Jesus met Simon, he immediately called him Peter or yes. that name Cyprus. Yes. Um, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus according to John. So he brought him to Jesus. So this story contradicts what you read. Yes. Where Jesus, it's actually many, it's, it's actually towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Yes. When they go up to, um, they go up uh, to, and Jesus, rebu Peter rebukes Jesus. Um, well, first of all, Jesus says, who do the crowd say I am? Yes. And Jesus says, you're the Messiah, um, you know, the son of God. And Jesus will say, blessed are you, Simon, 
this wasn't revealed to you. Your name's not Cephas anymore. It's now Peter. That happens towards the end of Jesus' ministry in the Synoptic Gospels. John has taken that same story and inserted it into the very, very first beginning. encounter. Or, or is that just the way so, they put it in the Bible? <clears throat> well, let's, there's two ways to think about this. Because these are the sorts of questions that often make people think, well, oh, that can't be true because yes. these stories seem to contradict each other. Because it doesn't, doesn't contradict. Yeah. First thing I would say is um, when stories are exactly the same, lawyers know they are made up. So uh, if you go to a court and everybody, every witness in the stand has the same story, every, anyone in law knows that that's been a fabricated story because everyone has different perspectives. They expect different perspectives. What we think actually forms contradictory evidence, actually reinforces a case so much so that if everyone stands up and spouts the same information about that situation, they go, no, they've all sat down and they've conspired together to tell this story. So they know that, right? And and police detectives know that too. Anyone working in law enforcement knows that. That's the first thing. The second thing is John's writing this many years later. And you think back on your life, how many times do you have conversations where you know something happened, but your recollection of the situation is different, different to Ed's definitely, situation? Definitely, definitely. Right? Yeah. You, oh, did that happen in that conversation? Oh, or that did person that... was wearing red dress and so, you go, no, I'm right. sure it was blue. Exactly. And and you actually form that belief in your mind, which is you're convinced it's true. You, you could often I'll say, Jill will have a different perspective on something and I'll go, no, we didn't do it that way. We did it this way. Now, the point, the main points didn't change, but all the peripheral memories did change. It's the way our brains work. And mm. so you have to be quite comfortable with the fact that whether it was intentional or otherwise, um, these stories, it's okay for them to contradict here. And, and also the third thing I would add to that is that w- they weren't as worried about chronological accuracy as we are today. True, true. You can read the Old Testament. They weren't worried about chronological accuracy. Or what happened before there or what happened. Exactly. It's probably yeah. the same with the scriptures when the per- people that first put the Bible exactly. together were not worried about chronological. They were more worried about what was the purpose. It was an arrangement was of thought rather yes. than an arrangement of time. Yes. And if they had to bend the truth on the order things happened in order to get the arrangement of thought, they were they didn't see that as lying. Now, modern historians, we want, we teach our historians to map everything accurately chronologically. It didn't mean anything like that. So what do we, whatever we think about that, whether you agree with that or not, that's just the way ancient cultures were. This isn't just Jewish culture. This is Greek culture. This is everybody. They wanted to make points. And if they had to twist the truth in terms of the order things happened or the way things were said, or even the names of people, they, they had no problems with that if they were trying to get their point across. Okay. That's it. That's it for me. All for right. Chapter one. That's John amazing, one. isn't there was it? was a lot in John chapter one. I there. know. All right, we're heading now to chapter 11. Chapter 11. Yep. Okay, Pastor Rowan, we are on John 11. We are almost there. So let's, um, I'm just going to read my little excerpt again because I think it would be a good start. Um, my Bible actually refers to this as the resur- resurrection and life. So mm. that yep. would be rather interesting. Yep. Um, ever since God judged Adam and Eve, death has plagued humanity. It separates us from those we love and looms over our own likes like a menacing spirit. In this chapter, Jesus reached out to a family struggling with the pain of death. He shows us why we need to never fear death again. So this yeah, is that's the right. story of Lazarus and his resurrection, which uh, refers to Jesus as well further in the, the book. 
So, um, as you know, when he was resurrected from dead. So, yes, um, that's right. So this is what the whole story was about. So I was a little bit confused in some verses. So the verses are 11, 8 to 10. Disciples said, let's go back to <laughs> Judea. Yep. And then they said, go back to Judea. And the disciples, that's what Jesus said to them. But they said, but Rabbi, they said, <coughs> a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and get you and, and going back there. Why are you going back there? They yep. don't understand why he's going back there. So obviously they didn't know that he got this message about Lazarus. They had no idea. Jesus answered, are there not, tw- this is where I got confused. Yes, it's cryptic, are there it? not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble. For he sees by this world's light, it is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. He relates this to Nazareth's death. To, to Lazarus's death. Yeah, yeah. I, because straight away he says, we are going to, you know, yep. resurrect um, Nazareth. Nazareth has fallen asleep. And yep. then they get confused and they think he's just snoring. Yes, that's right. They think he's asleep. Yes. And he goes, no, 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 he's no, not no, asleep. No, he's he's dead. actually dead. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I just... I just it's a cryptic. Could you unpack this oh, metaphor? Actually, I, I, do you know what? I, I must have studied it at some point. So I'm going to have to work through it because it doesn't – It's one. this is a good example of one where I haven't prepared. Um, let's see if we can work on it together. Oh, I got one. You got one. You got one. You got me stumped. Um, yeah, because what he's saying is a bit cryptic. So so mm. he's – previously he'd been kicked out. We basically left Judea. So Judea is around the Jerusalem area. He'd left there because – some of the things he said, they didn't like him. That was all that stuff I was referring to where he said before Abraham was born, I am, and they were ready to kick him out. So he left that area. He crossed the Jordan River into what is modern-day Jordan. He's living on that side. It's not that far from Jerusalem. It's just across the river, really. Um, but he hears word that Lazarus has died. So I can understand why the disciples are a bit nervous about him saying we're going back over there again. Yeah, because you know, of the trouble they Because had. of the trouble we had last time we were there. What do you want to do that for? Uh, where I guess it's challenging uh, let's so he, let's work our way through this verse by verse. <coughs> verse nine, he makes this statement about oh, there's twelve hours of daylight. Travel mm. in the day and you'll be okay. Um, don't travel at night; it's danger in the night. So, what does he mean when he says that? Because he links and he says, then he said, our friend Lazarus is dead. So, I'm going to do a bit of we're going to do a bit of research and see. We'll just do Google it and see what we think. Okay, because that the, would be interesting. Yes, because I think it's just. At first value, it could be just a simple statement to say, well, we'll travel by day. Yeah. We'll be okay because they're could worried be about so safety. Simple. Could be, hey, well, well, it's 12 hours a day. We'll travel in the daytime. We'll stay away from the nighttime so that we, we don't put ourselves at risk because they're not going to hassle us while we're in the daytime. That could make sense, but it was probably daytime when he was going to be when they were going to stone him last time as well so exactly i don't so think that would really don't matter think for that them would matter for them it no, would be better okay. for them they could target him no so this perhaps there seems to he seems to be talking more about a spiritual daylight yeah that's what i think it's uh, like a metaphor a, a metaphorical statement are there mm. 12 hours of daylight during the day you can walk safely it's 12 hours at night so is there a spiritual metaphor here and that would make sense if he's talking about how well lazarus is dead yeah. He's overcome by the darkness. Yes. That's I'm, why I thought I yep. could see that metaphor in relation so. to the night. Yep. So therefore I'm going to go and wake him up. I'm going to go and bring the light. I am the light of the world. Yep. I'm going to bring that light into that situation. So that that is a possibility too. But from its from its base text, I can't tell you which one of those two it is. So should we do a little chat GPT thing and see yeah, what it yeah. says? See what it says. All right. Let's just see. This is not – I want to stress again for the, my viewers who – uh, using chat GPT, you don't take it at face value. You still need to verify your sources, but it can be a helpful tool. So uh, what did Jesus mean by 
12 hours, 12 hours of daylight in uh, John 11. And how does this link with him saying that uh, Lazarus has died? Has died. Let's just see what it said. Because that's sort of the question we're asking. Is there mm. a link? Let's just see what ChatGPT comes up with. In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, Jesus uses the metaphor of 12 hours to daylight to, confirm the, to convey the idea that there is a limited predestined time for accomplishing the work of God. Oh, so he's about to go and do some work and he's saying that time is limited. Ah, that's why he says 12 hours. Yeah. When he says, are there 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. Jesus seems to be indicating that there is a proper time and season for everything, including his own ministry and miracles. The comment about 12 hours of daylight is made in the context of his disciples' concern for his safety. They're worried because the Jewish leaders are hostile toward him. And so yet it was Jesus, a little bit what you said. Yeah, it was a little bit of that. Yeah, that's, oh, that, that's definitely their thinking. It's whether mm. Jesus was responding to that or whether he thought more. Jesus decides to go back to Judea where Lazarus has died. Jesus essentially tells his disciples that the time for doing God's work is limited, but while it is day, he will continue to do the work he has been sent to do, unafraid of the consequences. So, okay. hey, if I've got an opportunity to work... It's daytime. I'm going to work, regardless, regardless of, of whether it, of yeah. the consequences. Now that now. fits more with what I'm thinking of Jesus. That does make because Nazareth happened pretty much uh, Lazarus just before Jesus was crucified. Oh, absolutely. I'll yeah. So this hold is that all... thought. I'll come back to it because yeah. that's a really good point. Mm. Uh, in this chapter, the death of Lazarus serves as an opportunity for dem- Jesus to demonstrate the glory and power of God through the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. By doing so, he also foreshadows his own resurrection. The daylight for Jesus mm. to perform such miracles is running out as his crucifixion is approaching, but he's still the proper time for this specific act. Thus, the metaphor underscores the urgency of divine timing of Jesus' ministry. I think that's a pretty good response. It, yeah. See, I, I now want to go and develop it while I'm studying guess, it and look at some commentaries gets on it. It doesn't it? Just, it gets, a little bit. just a little bit to put some perspective on it. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right here. Jesus knows that he's coming to the end of his life. Mm. Now, in the other Gospels, Jesus also knows that. In fact, we just had that story around, um, you know, him telling Peter, get behind me, Satan, and you're the rock and all that. Um, Straight after that, I think it's in Luke's Gospel, straight after that it says Jesus set his face as a a flint. He he set his path resolutely towards the cross. Yeah. Now, in John's Gospel, John will set it up in such a way to show you that exactly what you just said, this raising of Lazarus, is really about picking a fight. It's picking a fight with two things. Picking a fight with death, yep. which is obvious. He's defeating death. Yep. But he's picking a fight with the religious crowd too because he knows that raising Lazarus is going to really get their back up. So it's, it's – Which it does. Which it does yeah. to the point where they're ready to kill Lazarus ready, again. Yeah. And they go after him. They say, we've got, to get, we've got to kill Lazarus again because everyone's turning to him. Yeah. So this is a significant pivotal moment. It's only halfway through John's gospel and John's got 20 – one chapters. This is John 11. Mm. But this is the moment at which Jesus is going to propel himself toward the cross. Mm. So it now makes sense to me that he's going, there's not much daylight left. Yep. But while there is, we're going to make haste. I'm going to make haste. I'm going to make yeah. hay while the sun shines, okay, well, so that, to speak. Yeah. That explains it. It does, me. I think. Yeah, that explains it for me too. Yeah. And I so think I did, that was really, that's a good example of, you know, you stumped me on that one. And I'm just going, let's just think it through. I usually just read it through slowly. Try to think about what it might be saying, the different contexts, and then I'll go to a commentary or a GPT or something. But just that model I used is a good way if you get stumped. Just start there. Yeah, no, that's good. I, that, that explains it to me. I sort of was half getting it and then I thought I didn't quite understand the daylight hours. No, I didn't yeah. necessarily But when you get said safety, I thought, okay, I could see safety. I could yep. get that. But limited time. So he's actually – is another metaphor there. 
So yeah. Jesus states, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even through he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He asked this of Martha, Martha uh, direct. Um, Martha, yep. Now I found this interesting because in those times women weren't regarded much for education. Mm-hmm. So therefore they didn't really study the Torah. So I actually thought that this was a quite a strong statement given to Martha. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, when he said that, he said, do you believe this? Like she hasn't read it. She hasn't got any references. The only thing she has is him. Yeah. Like he is her Bible. Like yeah. she has been yeah. with him the yeah. whole time and listened to him and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So to me... This is a huge statement, especially to be said to a woman of the time who would not have studied the Torah. Um, I just thought that was massive. That's huge. Particularly to a woman. Like Jesus if is the great, um, great emancipator of women. He was always elevating the value of women. Mm, and, and this really showed, like this this was something he didn't even speak to the disciples, the way he said this, you know. And he's ch- So he's calling her to personal faith. He's calling yes. her to revelation. That's superb. Yes. I've not thought and of that. And he's calling himself great. a resurrection and yeah. I am the life. He who believes in me will live. Yep. So even though she made a statement before that, yes, yes, I know, and Lazarus will raise and he will yep. go to you in the resurrection yeah, in time. The, she knew all that. That yep. was just like something I think it's just everybody knows. Yep. But he said no. I'm not talking about that. This is deeper yep. because I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection right. and I am the life. Yeah. You know that, don't yeah. you? And and she did. She did truly believe what he was saying. Yeah. Um, and because yeah. she believed that, it was like, she had to believe that in order for him to raise her brother. Yep. You know, like faith comes. Yep. So Jesus re- was responding happens. to her faith in yes. this moment. Yeah, that's yes. great. Even though he could do it. He could do it, but he, but he, he, needs he wanted to invite her into partnership with yes, him. Yes, which is what he does a lot. Yes. Like your absolutely. faith has made you yep, well. Totally. All through the scriptures yep. it says that. And that's the partnership. People go, oh, why couldn't God just do it? No, but God has set up the world in such a way that he wants to partner with humans. So he, he does. He can do things without us, but he doesn't want to because – he wants to share, yeah. and so he's partnering with with Martha in this. That's superb. I love so that. So I just thought, thought that was really quite deep, and people brush over it and they don't realise. And, and we give Martha a hard time. We do. Because a few chapters before, we see Martha hassling around in the kitchen doing yes. all the stuff and frustrated and, and with, with the sister why Mary. Looking after Mary. Yeah, yeah. Why is Mary? Why is it Mary working as she's well? Being lazy. Well, that's what she thinks. Yeah, I know. But actually, incidentally. Just hearken what you're saying there. Just take it a bit further. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. You said women don't study Torah. And look at that. Mary was actually, the fact that she was sitting at Jesus' feet, she, she was, was a disciple. Yeah. She was being invited to sit at the rabbi's feet. And he's the only one in history that I know that, that would have that. allowed that. Yeah. No, no. I mean, 20th century, 21st century, now some rap, you know, there's a lot more uh, egalitarian in Jewish religion these days. There's more space for girls to take bar mitzvah, bar, bar mitzvah. And, yep. and study Torah, but it wasn't the case until 100 years ago. Um, Especially not back for, then. No, certainly not back then, except for Jesus, who's quite comfortable with Mary being there. And then this is this story is redemptive for Martha as well because yeah. she she gets – She obviously she must the, have absorbed it she's too. She's taken and it on And he board. knows that because he I knows would, everything. Totally. And I, I'd flip it over and say, you know, in the same way that G, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet in the previous story, yes. Mary's not the one who comes to Jesus. It's Martha in this one. Yes. Mary's caught in her grief yes. and can't see beyond it. Martha, at least, she's in her grief, but she's got the she's the one with the, the get up and foresight. go to go and go. I'm going to go find Jesus because she so said that, that Jesus could have whatever he wanted. That's right. She she was, was declaring God. something. So there's yeah. something inside of her that's making that's, him say that statement. You got it. And he knows that she believes it. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's and the superb. other thing was Jesus wept. Well, that's the two biggest words in the whole yep, Bible, isn't it? Shortest verse in the Bible. But so powerful, two words, but so powerful. Not just teary, but fully wept. Mm. To me, this is the ultimate burden bearer because we see Jesus as a totally. burden bearer to take on the pain, even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. He feels our pain deeply. And he, he allows that time. You've, I think you've spoken on this once before. You were Ivana and just... He allows that time to just soak in the fact of our deep grief. Oh, absolutely. And doesn't push away. This is where grieving is so important. He doesn't push through that. No. I mean, think about it. There's a pastoral care lesson for anybody who cares for people, Mm. (laughs) any kind of people care right here, because I'm not naturally wired that way. I'm always solution focused. If if I'm Jesus in this moment and, and I'm seeing the pain of other people, I'd be going, I would literally go, guys, what are you worried about? Like I'm here now. Just, I'm just give it five minutes. It's going to be fine. Five minutes from now, Lazarus is going to be out of that tomb. Nothing to worry about. Exactly. The fact that Jesus allows himself to immerse, to in, immerse in, even though he knows five minutes from now it's all going to be okay, that to me should be a lesson for us as pastors. Is just It's okay just to sit in the moment with people. And allow people to and feel And allow their people grief. to feel their grief. And Jesus and even feels them. it totally. And he you know? deeply feels that he, yeah. he he has in this story has the full range of emotions he's weeping here and then when he comes to the tomb in a moment we're going to see he's angry yes he's angry at sin like there's something rustling inside of jesus which is powerful sin and death that goes he, he's picking a fight with sin and death in this moment this is significant he's like this is like round one in the war he's going to do round two on the cross yes but, but this, this is, is the like first the one. poke the bear kind of moment i'm going to come at you yeah. sin and death i'm coming after because you because he says here that he says that jesus calls in a loud voice yeah. like he was quite a quiet person like he wasn't someone that in would in this moment it's yeah different. but this one he was like really yep. powerful and strong and says lazarus come out the dead men came out his hands and feet still wrapped in grave clothes i found this interesting like Jesus is Jesus. He could have just taken those clothes off. I love he could this. have been wearing like no, gold robe and whatever. It doesn't yep. matter. But no, he's still in the grave clothes. Yep. Why? Because he's partnering again with humans. Come on, preach Jesus it. said, take off the grave clothes. Um, let him go. Let him go. Let him go. It's like a releasing from death. Yep. Let him go. Yep. So they participated in the releasing of the death. For Nazareth, they actually participated. They in did, that. and and we are called to do the same thing. Yes. You know, every time a salvation, resurrection, salvation in a person's life, Jesus could fix it all up, but He says to His people, "Your job, you guys get the job of unwrapping the grave clothes. You get the job of helping people get free from the things that have held yeah, them bound." We we are part of the them, partnership. We are partnership. Yes, you I got really, it. I love that. Yeah. Well done, Leonie. That's awesome. So, do I get an applause for that? Yeah, I think you can get applause for that. I think it definitely deserves an applause. No, yeah, I got it right. Yeah, there you go. First applause for the day. She's been waiting for the applause. Oh, so good. I'm going to give you another one. There we go. I love the fact you said that partnership. Superb. Yeah, all right. Yeah, good on you guys. All right. Excellent. All right, so we're up to the next one. We're up to the, is that the last one we're doing now, is it? Yeah, Jude. Jude, the book of Jude. All right, let's go there now. Yeah. Here we are, the very last one, Jude. Jude is very small but very impactful, I feel, Pastor Ron. Yes, it is indeed. So my book again, I have this little insert again which explains who Jude is and the whole background. So when reading Jude, it just brings it to life. So I'll just read this for you. 
Jude wrote in the same era as Peter. In fact, much of the information in Jude is found also in 2 Peter Peter 2. So Jude was the brother of James and the half-brother of Jesus. Both Matthew 13.55 and Mark 6.3 speak of James and Jude, along with Joseph and Simon, as brothers of Jesus, through according to John 7.5. Christ's brothers were not believers in him during his lifetime. These two at least became converts after his death. James became a leader in the early church. We see him in action in 1 Corinthians 15.7, Acts 12.17 and 15.13, Galatians 1.19 and 2 and 9, 2 and 12, and Acts 21.18. We hear from June only Jude, only in this book, except perhaps in 1 Corinthians 9.5. It is interesting to note that while Jude claims James as brother, James, James, yeah. James, James is his brother, brother yeah. yeah. Both he and James refer to themselves as servants of Jesus, so they don't actually refer themselves as brothers. The book of Jude was written to oppose false teachers who were sexually immorally and were teaching arrogantly. This letter would have been used as a sermon in the writer's absence. So, yeah, so I found that yeah, that's, interesting. That's, that's Just a to, good explanation of the background of who Jude is and yeah, what it, his context was. Okay, so obviously Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. Very small book, referring to constantly back to the Old Testament, which I really, really like this yep. book. So I read it. I don't know if you want to – I'll read some of it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, okay, because yep. just to hear the impact of it. Yep. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of Jesus of James. To those who have been called and who have loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love for you be yours in abundance. Just a thought there before you keep reading. I think it's in, it's intentional on his part. It's his humility that he doesn't say, oh, by the way, I'm also one of Jesus' brothers. Yeah. You know, that shows a humility. Very he's much not so. cla- It's not his claim to fame. Yeah. Yeah, and, everyone knows who James is, so let's stick to that. And the fact that they didn't claim it when he was living either. That's right. There's, there's probably a, a bit a of bit a, of humility, humility in there, there too, yep, you know. That's right. Like they see him as more than a brother. Yep. He, he was God. He, that's right. He, he, both James and Jude. Mm. see Jesus as more than their half-brother. Yeah, Absolutely. so that's why they don't claim it. No, nah, that's right. Which, totally. Which is... Which is good for humility. And it's easy to appeal to, oh, you know, so-and-so who's the leader of our movement, you know, Pastor Phil or whatever. Oh, yeah, I know Pastor Phil, but that's mm. that's not what Jude's doing. He's not no. He's not appealing to anybody else. He's he's taking the lower ground. And he's also saying that he's only James' brother. He's only James' brother. That's right. Okay. But he, not that he would deny that he wasn't. No, he wouldn't have denied it, but he's not using it as his claim to fame. Not at all. No, not at all. So it says, dear friends, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in amongst you. So this is a bit like the wolves in the sheep's clothing. Exactly, yep. They are godless men who charge the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus our only sovereign and Lord. So they're actually, again, wolves that are saying that, you know, they're denying. Denying Jesus, yeah. Yeah, completely. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the the great day. 
in a similar way, Sodom and oh, well, that, that's another thing. But I was like really taken aback, just starting to read Jude. Like it's funny you don't read this very often, do you? But um, what I found was that um, in saying knowledge that they only the Holy Spirit could have said, like he would have only known this through the Holy Spirit. There's no way that he understood some of this revelation. Yeah, then. because yeah. it was really strong and really powerful. In when you read Jude, I would highly recommend yep. you read Jude. Um, yeah, and, and it talks about the angels, you know, falling from grace. So do you know where that stuff comes from? That Re- you're saying, n- actually, no. I know what you're saying now. No, that actually comes out of the book of Enoch. We do. Do we have that book? No. Ah, right. Okay, so oh, I need to read that book y- of Enoch. Y- it's a where do I get that read? from? Uh, you, can, you can just get a copy of the book of Enoch. Um, it's, I don't the even think it's book. in the Apocrypha. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can get a book. I can recommend a book called... Um, uh, I haven't recommended this on the podcast previously called Reversing Herman by the late Michael Heiser who died a year or so ago. Reversing Herman um, was one of the most fascinating books I ever read and it's about the book of Enoch. So this book of Enoch is not a book that is in our Bible. The, now, it was the probably one of the most prominent books at the time of, the new, of, the time of Jesus, yeah. prominent religious writings. Uh, it was attributed to Enoch, who was like the sixth person from Adam. So in Peter's gospel, he's going to say, oh, Enoch, the sixth person from Adam. The reason it's not in our Bible is because it wasn't, a, it wasn't, it couldn't possibly have been him that had written it, but it was attributed way back. Enoch was the one who walked with God for 365 years and then the Lord took him away. So he was... Yeah, because he was the one that also went to heaven that he, was still alive. That was still alive, yes. Yeah. And so it was attributed to him, but it wasn't written by him. It was, But it was a, an apocryphal book that was very prevalent and shaped up a lot of the religious teaching of the time. Now, this reference to all this stuff that he's quoting here and Second Peter is quoting is straight out of the book of Enoch. Um, oh. There's also a reference to the Moses debating with this, with uh, sorry, um, Michael the archangel debating with yes, Satan. Yes, that's in it's here. In here. Yes. Okay, so that comes straight out of the book yes, of Enoch. Yeah, straight out. Okay? Straight out. I'm thinking, so, how would so, he know that? So no, so that's where it's coming from. Yeah. So what? So yes, it's not revelation in that way. It's coming out of that. But they all knew that. Um, but the scholars have argued, well, what, if, the, if the apostles are okay to quote the book of Enoch, yep. why aren't we putting the book of Enoch in Into our Bible? Bible. Yeah. And there's different views about that. Okay. But this book, Reversing Hermit, I would just start there. I think it actually has large portions of the book of Enoch in it. But what it does is it helped me to understand that it's not just the, the two or three references to the book of Enoch that we have here. Was it Reversing? Uh, reversing Hermon. It's about Mount Hermon. Um, and it's not just a couple of references. Jude references it here, Second Peter references it, and there might be one other place that directly quotes from the book of Enoch. But what Michael Heiser showed was that the worldview of the book of Enoch completely saturates the New Testament world. There's oh, so much comes so to life. so much in there because there's so many statements that are making our go, well, totally, where, where that, where that comes from. This where one comes out of the book of Enoch. So if you had oh, a study notes, sense. it might tell you it's the book of Enoch somewhere. Yeah, um, probably. But even things like... And the, the teaching in Paul in Corinthians about women having their head uncovered when they speak and all that sort of yes, stuff, that's yes. all Book of Enoch stuff. Oh, that's Book of Enoch. So, oh, I need to so you need to read just for that. So it's a superb – it's it's quite a – it's not a heavy theological book, but it's not a light read either. Yeah. Um, but it's a fascinating book, Reversing Herman. And so, yes, that's, that's the answer to your question. This isn't necessarily Holy Spirit revelation. This is stuff that he – Took from Enoch. Took from Enoch. Ah, that makes sense then. Okay. So I've got a lot of that. So I hope in the last book, show mercy, snatch others from the fire. That was really interesting. Yes. The last bit. Yep. Was um, I'll just read that bit. Uh, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. 
to others show mercy mixed with fear, having even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. So having mercy to those that that are terrible. Mm. Uh, To him who is able to keep you from falling. So that's obviously a reference to Jesus. Yes. And to prevent you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty. Well, it goes on later yes, there. Yes, gives um, his benediction. Yep. Yeah, it gives his benediction to Jesus and saying that that's where the hope is. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's a really strong read um, all about the fallen angels, all about... So he's writing it for a purpose because he starts by saying, hey, guys, I wanted to write to you with some really good stuff about salvation. I wanted to write some really encouraging stuff, but I've become aware that there's some pretty wrong teaching going on in the, in the church. And I feel obligated now to teach this. Mm, so to this, wrong. to teach this wrong teaching, like you said, it's this uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. So uh, scholars aren't sure what the heresy was that he's specifically referring to here. No, because um, he doesn't He doesn't say. It. Uh, the main heresy, and I've talked about this on a previous podcast, the main one that came became apparent at the time of the New Testament was still being written was a heresy, a heresy called Gnosticism. Mm. Yeah, you told me. You remember, you, I, you I started, heard that previous yeah. episode about Gnosticism. Okay, yeah, that, so, was, that was very enlightening. Yeah, so there's elements of Gnosticism in here, but I don't think this is specifically Gnosticism that he's re- revealing. So for those that were listening haven't heard on a previous episode, Gnosticism was a, basically a belief that um, everything of the spirit is good and everything of the flesh is evil. And so it led to different views, uh, whereas Christians believe that God made humans and it's good. Our mm. bodies are good. Yeah, that's what it says um, in the beginning. Exactly, right from the beginning. So Gnosticism had two views. One was, well, our bodies are flesh, so let's just live it up, yep. you know, sleep with whoever, do whatever we want, because in the end it doesn't matter anyway. Because we've learned the practice of taking our spirit outside of Because our spirit is separated. Yeah. That's one. Or the other one was the flesh is evil, so we need to completely um, hurt it, hurt it mm. you know, whip it, suffer, et cetera, et cetera. And they're both rooted in the same belief. So this doesn't seem to be this specific belief. used to do that. Yeah, that's right. And some of it was from this Gnosticistic belief that mm. somehow we need to um, – When well, Paul said, it, I beat, beat my themselves. body into shape, but he, does, he was using it metaphorically. They took it literally. Yeah. Um, but there seems to be here what he's dealing with is definitely a level of immorality because he says in verse 8, in the same way, these people who claim to have authority from their dreams, they're claiming all this spiritual authority – they're actually living immoral lives and scoffing at supernatural things. They think they know best. Mm. And so that seems to be what he's rebuking is that leaders are almost doing like do as I say and not as I do. Yeah, they're just doing whatever they want. They're doing whatever they but want. But they, they're condemning but others. They're condemning others. And, and so Jude is addressing that and saying that is not what Christian life is about. No, that's not true. Yeah. So I'll just uh, finish off with Jude just by saying the benedict. because Yes, I thought the benediction was, at the end. Yeah, to who is able to keep you from falling. I really like that. Yeah, so I'll good. just read it. Yeah, it's read like it. A, like a prayer. Yeah, it is. So to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. 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 I think what's great about that is he's talking to a people who are facing this abuse from their leadership and this immoral living and it looks like it's all going awry and he's he's an encouragement that we can take too. doesn't matter how bad things look, guys. The one who is able to keep you from falling is faithful and true. Stay the course. Stay focused on him and he'll get you through whatever you're facing. Amen. 